is a ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later. The Homestar Army proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about. Trek West 5 is brought to you in part by RocketWebDesign.com, custom web design at template website prices. Designs by DD.blogspot.com, your online home for all your digital scrapbooking needs. Need a home along the Wasatch Front? Contact Lisa DeBagere with Kirkham & Friends Real Estate. No one will work harder for your home. And thehomestarmy.com, blogging to the world since 2004. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 102. I am Peter. And I am Joey. And uh, we are recording from the secret bunker location. 102, huh? That's what you decided to go with? I tried a different one this time, okay. as opposed to 102. Or 11d2, or 10d2. <laughs> less, uh, I think, less syllables. 102. 102. Yeah, but O? It's not really an O, it's a zero. I agree with you, but 102... I, I just... Yes. That's... It doesn't sound like okay. a number. <laughs> All right. Uh, just so we're clear, when I'm talking to someone on the phone, it's zero, not O. Gotcha. I may. I've always, always been. Me too. Always yeah. been that meticulous because O could be a letter. Yeah. Nowadays, although it's not. Back in the old days, the O wasn't on there. Oh, you mean it couldn't? It could be on the phone keypad. Yeah. Okay. Like, O's always been a letter as long as we've had an alphabet, man. <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, good week for you? It was okay. Yeah? Yeah. I liked uh, the fact that it's a three-day weekend because everybody cleared out of the office by about 3 o'clock. <laughs> Let me actually get some work done. <laughs> <laughs> Left you alone. Uh, you know, I actually had a pretty good week. I I bought a, uh, a Dyson vacuum, and it showed up uh, this week, and so... I'm hopefully going to be spending tomorrow putting it all together and trying it out. I'm excited because uh, it's a cool vacuum. Now, you actually had... You, I, I can't believe that you're leaving off one of the, the big things that happened to you this week. Did you did you attend any concerts this week? We will get to that when we arrive at Joey's Culture Corner. All right. We'll leave it alone for that then. <laughs> Um, before we get into the normal stuff, I do have one email we okay. need to read here at the beginning. This is uh, from Krista. Okay. And she says, Flamingo. Hi, guys. <laughs> I was listening to this week's podcast and heard Joey mention that I might stop listening due to someone's fifth grade humor about Minbari mating habits. <laughs> Trust that it would take more than that to get me to unsubscribe. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> We haven't found the the limit yet. <laughs> we'll keep trying. <laughs> the episode about the sick boy whose parents wouldn't let him have an operation came pretty close, though. <laughs> I'm really starting to enjoy the podcast again. As you might guess, the last several batches of episodes came close to killing my interest in Babylon 5. Let's just say it was on life support. <laughs> So, I kept listening to the podcast, even though I skipped several episodes of the show. 
the fact that I'm watching on Netflix and everything is all out of whack in their episode list also complicates matters. So, I'm now just doing my best to get back to watching the episodes before listening to the cast. I almost accomplished that this week, but I missed Babylon Squared. Can we just call that Babylon times two? <laughs> yes. I'm with you on this, uh, Flamingo. That is totally okay. Uh, she well, it's continues. not Babylon times two. Because it's not Babylon squared either. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's uh, Babylon times Babylon. It's not Babylon times two. <laughs> I had a strange flashback when you talked about Ivanova getting pranked at the beginning of the episode. Let me guess. She gets a big promotion. Then on the first day of her new job, several of her male colleagues, plus her <laughs> boss, quit because they don't feel comfortable working with a woman? That'd be a good one. <laughs> I wonder, did, did that happen to her? Oh, She's oh, talking oh, about CJ. CJ, of course. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Ugh, it's been too long since I've watched good television. Oh. <laughs> one last comment words can hurt you know? <laughs> one last comment I am um, I am really digging this new dynamic between you two I, <laughs> I didn't know we had one but okay is that because I'm taking more of a, a leadership role in the podcast <laughs> uh, yes let's call that leadership <laughs> Uh, I don't know whether to describe it as Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costello, Data and Worf. <laughs> <laughs> I call Data. <laughs> Hard to say, but it goes like this. One, some seemingly obscure plot point pops up. It seems to have no relevance to anything going on in the current story, but it uh, but is apparently vital to the, a yet-revealed storyline. Two... Joey's giddiness starts to bubble up. <laughs> Three. More bubbling as Joey tries his darndest to not let a spoiler slip. Four. Giddiness continues to simmer as Joey finally carefully crafts a clue that satisfies his need to share, yet doesn't spoil an episode we surely won't discuss for months, probably years. <laughs> Five. Peter is nonplussed. Or perhaps even outright upset that Joey has said too much. <laughs> uh, and six, Joey's giddiness still bubbling. <laughs> I think she accurately uh, captured that. That works. Uh, seriously, Joey, there are times when I think your head is going to explode. I find it very entertaining. As long as your head doesn't actually, you know, explode. Uh, I haven't watched any of the episodes you're talking about tonight, so I'll sign off here and hope to catch up next week. Um, good oh, it's good to hear from her. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know what? She brings up an interesting point in that uh, she's you know missed uh, a few episodes. I wonder if it would be worthwhile for you to, for some of the listeners out there, to look ahead in the season and say... Don't miss these. Yeah. Make sure you watch these or, you know what? You can skip these. We like, can do that. Because they, they may be types of episodes that are just like, you know, TKO or yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, And infection. there are going to be some of those that we can certainly sit. I'll spend some time this weekend and identify the critical arc episodes that are on the don't miss list. Um, well, I wasn't going to say that. I was just going to say 
choose the ones that they can absolutely miss. Okay. The ones that are crap. Okay. Essentially. Um, but uh, good email from Krista. And uh, what? What, which, what What do we do next? Joey's Culture Corner. Joey's Culture and not Facebook Find of the Week. We can do either one. Which one do you want to do? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Let's do Facebook Find of the Week. Because it's, it's quick to get out of the way. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with the Dark Knight article that oh, okay. Fish had posted. Good. I like that as well. I, I, I'm really upset that you and JD ruined my joke. <laughs> you really were I, planning I that. I really one. was planning that. I was, I, I, and I was like, I hope they don't vote for that. I almost didn't put it on there. Because I was like, what if it actually wins? Then it would ruin my plan. <laughs> and so you guys go and thwart it. And you're like, I spent like hours meticulously. <laughs> I was like, should I put it on there? Or should I know that I'm vacillating on the issue? Uh, yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You what on the issue? I, I, I used your word rather than my word just uh-huh. to please you. <laughs> the things I do to make you happy. <laughs> or to be correct. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that article as well. Now, you read it and did you read it as like, oh, wow, I had never really thought about it in those terms before. I'd say Is that, that why you enjoyed it so much? The first half of the article I hadn't I hadn't considered. The last half of the article was like, yeah, that's exactly what I thought about the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, the where he gets into his kind of his analysis on why what Batman did was so critical and why he had to do that. Mm-hmm. I that, I agreed. I was like, yes, that's exactly what I walked out of that movie theater thinking was that same thing. But the whole idea of, oh, this is a deconstruction of vigilantism on the whole. I was like, oh, yeah, I hadn't considered it that way, and I, and I really enjoyed it from that perspective. Okay. So, listener Fishhead, congratulations. Uh, your prize will be uh, delivered next week. Uh, <laughs> on Monday, if you're in the office on Monday, it'll be delivered then. Are you going to be in the office on Monday to deliver it? Well, I, mean, it's uh, I didn't say I was delivering I'm it. not delivering anything to your office on Monday. <laughs> Who says any? Uh, no right. one said that you or I had to okay. deliver it. Uh, all right. So, then, uh, Joey's Culture Corner... Uh, I had a awesome experience this past week. Um, a year ago, I got tickets to the U2 concert right before Bono hurt his back. Um, so we were supposed to be the next stop on their tour here in Salt Lake City, and, and Bono got his back hurt, and they canceled the rest of the tour, or postponed the tour. And finally, a year later, they made it back, and so we went up to the concert, um, Pete, you had a chance to come. You you danced yeah, you, to come you, enjoy yourself. You you called me so late in the evening. I called you as soon as I knew I, there was another ticket. And I was like, ah, I can't change plans, dude. I had this stuff happening. <laughs> You're such a liar. You just didn't <laughs> want to get out of bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I went straight to bed. <laughs> no, I had to watch these crappy episodes for the podcast. Uh, no, that's, that's not the case. It, uh, Concerts aren't my thing. Gotcha. And while I like you too, I don't love them enough to go hang out with forty other, you know, forty thousand other strangers. Gotcha. I I really enjoy live U two a lot more than I enjoy. I'm, I mean, I'm a huge U two fan, and I love their albums. But there's you just something. Huge. There's an aspect. Yeah, that's true. There's an aspect to it to the live show that I just I really enjoy, and. Bono knows how to work a crowd. I mean, that guy has the whole audience eating out of the palm of his hand. I told Curtis after the, because I was there with the uh, errant listener of the podcast, Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> um, I told him afterwards, I said, you know, there was one point in that concert where 
he was talking about uh, Amnesty International and Aung Sang Yuki or whatever the lady's name, the lady who's, she was voted president of Burma in 1990 against like the military junta's wishes. And so they put her under house arrest for like 15 years. Um, Why wouldn't they just kill her? Yeah, I don't know. They just aren't what they used to be. <laughs> anyway, uh, Amnesty International, I guess, recently intervened and they were able to get her out of the country and now she's free to some aspect. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know that much about it, but they talked about her and how they had helped with the, you know, they'd been helping, helping raise funds for Amnesty International and this was one of their big goals was to get this lady freed. And they actually have a song that they wrote about her, which is called Walk On. And... They, oh, so they had okay. a video clip of her talking to the audience during the song Walk On, where she said, you know, it's thanks to you and all the other YouTube fans, along with all the other people who donated to Amnesty International, that I'm free. And so I, I mentioned to Curtis at, at the end, I said, you know, there were a few minutes during that uh, concert where I was a liberal. Just, just a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how good that guy is at working the crowd. He had me... <laughs> Uh, you know, a staunch conservative. I, for just a few minutes, they're like, you know, maybe I should donate to Amnesty International before I leave today. <laughs> that is really funny. It was it was a really good time. I I really loved let, it. Let, let me ask you a question now. Did you did did they just play any of the new all the new stuff, or did they play any of the good stuff from like the eighties, like you know, uh, Billy Jean or um, uh, like it a virgin? So bad. No. No, no, I'm not giving into that joke this time. <laughs> <laughs> like a virgin. <laughs> that was one of the few 80s songs I can think of off the top of my head. Shit, that was something by the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> no, I wanted to go with pop, you know, okay. definite pop. Uh, they, by, they, by the way, for those people who don't know, that I I use that joke a lot uh, to uh, to give Joey and Curtis a hard time because they are such big YouTube fans. I always point out, like I I hear some other song, and uh, it's definitely not U two, but I'll say, oh wow, that's a good U two song, <laughs> or you know something else. Or you'll hear a U two song and go, this is a really good song. You know, I'd like to hear a U two cover of this. <laughs> <laughs> but or what was the one uh, we used to do? Uh, I heard this new song today. It's by this band called U2. I think you'd like them. You should check them out. <laughs> but my question is serious. Did they play any of the... It was actually more old older stuff than, really? than the newer albums. Yeah. It was a, a heavy focus on their back catalog. So October and uh, Joshua Tree, Zeropa. There was, so there's a lot of the older material in there. I think they only had maybe four songs out of their entire set list that were... Newer than 1999. Mm, wow. So what were the new songs then? Did they do... They did Walk On. Uh-huh. I thought that... Well, I thought that one was a... Uh, was an older one. No, that's all that you... That's from All That You Can't Leave Behind, which was 90... No, it was 2003 or something like that. Mm. Um, they did Elevation, which was on the same album. Okay, I'm not a big fan of that song. Okay. They did Discotech, which is from Pop, which is 1999. Not, not my favorite song either, but, you know, the crowd got into it and was dancing around, so it was, it was fun <laughs> for that aspect. Um, did they do A Beautiful Day? They did not do Beautiful Day. Oh, that is a shame. That is uh, probably my favorite U2 song. Really? Yeah, easily. Oh. I, I dig that one. 
They did do Sunday Bloody Sunday, which was really fun. Ugh. That one is played out as far as I'm concerned. Played out. They did one, which I think is a little overdone. You know, you, you hear it all the time. Um, Metallica does a better version. <laughs> okay. Seriously, they've got a song called One, and it's really awesome. Yeah, it's a different song. That's <laughs> <laughs> the same title. Wait, so here's some of the older songs that they did that I enjoyed. Uh, they did Even Better Than The Real Thing. Okay. Which is a good one. Mysterious Ways. Which yeah. Which a, a lot of fun live. Yes. That was really, really fun. Uh, Pride in the Name of Love, the Martin Luther King song. Okay. Uh, Stay, Far Away So Close. That was, uh, they did that one very slow and almost acoustic in, in the way they sang that one. Uh, Scarlet, which actually I didn't know. That was like a, was from their very first album and I didn't, like, I recognized that it was a U2 song, but I was like, wow, they don't totally remember the word. obscure there. Yeah, that. that's like one of their first songs ever. Um, Zoropa, which is really good stuff. Never heard of it. Really? Serious? Really? I may know the tune, okay. but that title? It's the name nothing. of their album right after Joshua Tree, I want to say. Yeah, don't okay. quote albums to me. I, I know nothing of albums. Unless it's Metallica. Okay. Then I might know it. It, it was also kind of interesting that it was uh, Bob Dylan's birthday. It was his 70th birthday. And so they did a couple different little tributes to Bob Dylan in the middle of their own songs. Or and at one point, they actually had the, the audience sing Happy Birthday to Bob Dylan. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> it was fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, it was really interesting. They had the fray there as the uh-huh. opening act. I don't think I'd ever heard any of their songs before. Well, there was one I that, I, there was one that I recognized. But uh, the guys from the fray actually made the comment, you know, if people want to record this and post it up on YouTube, we'll tell people to go Google for it. <laughs> like they actually gave the audience permission to record the concert I thought that was kind of funny well when you're a band that small I think uh, well, I'll help you <laughs> yeah absolutely but uh, yeah I I had a, a blast I was hoarse and I think I mentioned to you that you know I, I whistled by putting my fingers in my mouth and I had pinched down so hard to whistle loud that I had bruised my lips and I had fat lips like the next two days <laughs> yeah I, I made a joke to you that uh you're doing it wrong. If you're if you have bruised lips, it's, there's something not right about you. Okay, well that uh, that sounds like a fun thing. I think uh, you're going to go ahead and say thumb up to you too. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Finally, finally gets the uh, uh, the Joey recognition that they've been waiting you know decades for. Uh, but good stuff. I'd give him a thumb up too. Uh, I I like you too. Okay, uh, episodes. Episodes. Let's move in. We are going to cover episodes twenty one through 22 of Babylon 5 Season 1. And uh, we'll start off with uh, Episode 21, The Quality of Mercy. Dr. Franklin discovers a woman using an alien device and down below to heal the poor by draining her own life. Londo and Lanier visit the casino together. Okay. Um, eh. I, so I'm going to start off by reading from the J. Michael Straczynski script book. Okay. Okay, so here's the deal. Because I created the show, knew where it was going, and was committed to writing at least half of the episodes per season, the necessity of writing all the episodes was not even on the radar screen this early in the series, once I started to work on a given season, I couldn't let anything get in the way of my process. Even when the production broke for Christmas, I had to keep writing in order to make sure we would stay ahead on scripts after everyone came back from the break. 
Unfortunately, the stress of getting this first series off the ground had exhausted me to the point that I came down with a rather serious bout of the flu the day before we broke for Christmas. I think other uh, writers we've heard talk about that. Refusing to slow down, I stacked up pillows behind me in bed and kept on writing as the flu turned into bronchitis and pneumonia. I was fevered, bronchial, barely conscious, and medicated to within an inch of my life <laughs> on everything I could get over, under, and behind the counter. I'm told that I'd write a few pages, go to sleep, or either pass out for a while, wake up, focus on the laptop in front of me, knock back some Dayquil, and keep on writing. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I discovered as I typed these words that Microsoft Word's default spell check recognized Dayquil, but did not rec recognize Google. This tells us much about how programmers survive the programming process. <laughs> when I finally regained full-time consciousness, the quality of mercy was sitting before me. To this day, I have no recollection of writing it. <laughs> it was there. I was seen writing it by other people. And over the years, I've come to accept its existence as a sort of article of faith. But frankly, the wee folk could have written it for all I remember of the process. <laughs> I pass this along to you so you will understand that this script was written by a fevered brain, ping-ponging in and out of a heavily medicated consciousness in the grip of the Martian death flu. <laughs> That's the only way I can explain some parts of it. Starting with the whole bit concerning Wando's genitalia. <laughs> yeah, he, he goes on to talk a lot more about it, but I, I thought that was really funny, and it, it does give you an interesting perspective on the show to say, well, okay, some, some parts of it were a little bit weird. <laughs> And and maybe there's some credit to give for that. You know? Yeah, the whole Londo Lanier storyline. Uh, I don't get where in the world that comes from. A fever dream. <laughs> <laughs> just seriously, I, I just as I was watching, I thought, "What the hell is the point of this? <laughs> I don't get this at all. It, it doesn't move anything along. I don't think it sets us up for anything about Londo nope. and Lanier down the line." There is just this weird story of the two of them going out and having a good time. We do get to see Leonard do some kung fu. Okay, yeah, I suppose <laughs> that was nice, a little martial artist move. Uh, but still, I, I was confused by it. So it's nice to have a little bit of an explanation. Yeah. Um, all right, so the, the main storyline, uh, well, Two storylines? There's, there's, there's three storylines in here. There's yeah. A plot, B plot, and a C plot. And the A and B plot Very, very close. Very close to each other. Uh, Dr. Franklin find, uh, decides to start a free clinic. And uh, there's nothing wrong with having a free clinic. But apparently he's taking station uh, supplies. Uh, supplies to, to do this. <laughs> and uh, Ivanova finds out and says, yeah, you can't do this. Uh, or at least... You could have given me a heads up and I might have been able to help you out on this yeah. kind of a thing. So uh, she's going to turn a blind eye to it and is just kind of, you know, waggling the finger. When she comes down, they do the same joke in like a 30 second span, which is nobody looks at Ivanova when she walks into the room. And I think that if they hadn't done it the first time, it would be funnier the second time. So she's, she's out in the hallway and she's like, I would like to see the doctor. And the lady's like, line starts back there without looking up. And she's like, I'm sure it does. And the little woman looks up, oh, it's Commander Ivanova. Go on in. She goes in, and Dr. Franklin doesn't look at her. And he says, you know, just take off your clothes and get up on the bed or something like that. Oh, and she yeah. says, not without dinner and flowers first. Yeah. I think the not without dinner and flowers first is funnier if yeah, we had just had that joke just a few seconds before. Maybe. Maybe. Um, okay. So Dr. Franklin uh, comes to find out that there is this other, you know, secret clinic that's going on and everybody's stopping coming to his to go to that one and so he's naturally suspicious of it 
goes down there, thinks that this woman is duping people into... Thinks she's a faith healer. Yes, uh, because she hooks people up to a machine and they start to feel better. And he's like, oh, this is horrible. I, 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 this is just witchcraft here. You're not helping these people out at all. And then slowly, little by little, you know, things change and he comes around, uh, you know, he finally digs into it and says, oh, wow, I've looked at your charts here. Everybody's getting well. <laughs> There's nothing wrong here. You're helping everyone. Uh, how can I help you? Yeah. And finally gets on board with him. She explains eventually what the, the whole process of this machine is, which is sucks away some of your life to give to somebody else and and heals them. Yeah, and it was you. So apparently she is some kind of linguistics expert, a xenolinguistics expert, because she was able to decipher from a language that no one else recognizes. <laughs> yes. That this That's was a device true. used for corporal punishment. Yeah. Which I thought, this is a brilliant way of dealing with the whole situation of corporal punishment. You, you know, you say, you know, the uh, ombudsman, in reference to the B storyline, which is regarding a serial killer, he says, you know, taking your life does not repair the damage that was done to the community. However, if you could take his life away and store it as energy and actually use it to heal people... That would repair the damage done to the community after a fashion. In a manner of speaking, after yes. Fashion, yeah. Yes. So, so I think that that was a, a brilliant idea. And I don't know that I've ever heard of that from any other science fiction concept of to say, oh, we're going to drain your life away if you're you know, a murderer and we'll store it and we'll use it to heal other people. I, I have heard it. You know, the whole drain your life away, but only to, you know, by the bad guy who's going to drain your life away right. to, to receive it to himself. Right. You know, he's going to use your power. He's going to suck away your life and, you know, gain gain power from it. Um, As a system of corporal punishment, though, I think that was a fairly mm -hmm. unique, you know, or at least rare application. I thought it was very, I agree, very and I actually like it. Yeah, me too. I like that idea. Uh, okay, so the other storyline is that there is this uh, this guy who apparently was captured on Babylon 5? Or did he... Oh, he murdered people on yeah, Babylon 5. People. That's how there was jurisdiction yes. there. Um, and so the courts uh, find him guilty of murder. And uh, eventually they sentence him to what is called personality death. The death of personality, yeah. Um, whereby... The body will continue to live on, but they're just going to wipe his memory completely in a way that maintains normal function? No, they're going to replace... They're going to wipe his, his current memory and personality out and replace it with a constructed memory and personality. Mm, okay. Okay. So they are completely wiping it. Yes. And, and we'll actually see later in the series... Uh, it's, it's not a core storyline arc kind of thing but we will see later in the series the other half of the equation we'll see someone post personality wipe and we'll see what it's do like do we ever actually see the machine itself no. dang because it talked about how it was a machine it wasn't yes. done by Psycor people it was an actual machine right um, that would be interesting to, to know how they can implant that <laughs> uh, that's pretty powerful stuff Apparently, it, if the machine is not tuned correctly, it can be a painful process. Mm. You know, Garibaldi is a little bit bloodthirsty here. He's pretty upset with this guy for killing one of his men. And he tells uh, Dr. Franklin, you know, don't look at the machine too hard. <laughs> but I just thought, I thought, I, I mentioned that because I wanted to talk about that conversation because 
Dr. Franklin asks Garibaldi to do him a favor in return for him looking at the machine. So Dr. Franklin's asking Garibaldi, hey, will you do me a favor since I'm doing my job? Yeah, it did. I thought Does it that seemed a little weird. Okay. okay. I just, I, I came across that and I thought, that was bizarre. You're, you're doing your job as the chief medical officer. You know, I wonder if it's a sort of like a little joke. From time to time, you know, I'll get people to, uh, to do something for me. And uh, after I'm done, I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, kind of a, as, a, as a joke okay, to you know, make them laugh. Maybe that's, I don't think it was, but maybe. Um, so do you, the idea of a personality uh, replacement, are you in favor of something like that? And basically what they're saying is, oh, killing someone is just so bad. We, everybody just loses out completely on this. We, you know, we'll have this personality erasal and, uh, um, you know, turn them into something else. Yeah, like that? I'm okay with it. One of the things that makes me okay with it is that J. Michael Straczynski said in the Asked and Answered that they actually have the ability to reverse the process. So they will store? Yeah, they they can keep, Mm. to to some extent, he says it's not not 100%, but they actually, like, if the guy is found innocent later on, more facts come to light, they can, to some extent, reverse that process. And so in in that aspect, you know, I mean, the idea of killing someone and then finding out they were innocent is certainly not reversible. (laughs) And I I like the idea of, you know, okay, we're going to put you to work on something society needs, you know, probably some kind of menial <laughs> manual labor job. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, in order to try and get some kind of benefit back to society for the harm that you've done. See, because the way that they made it sound as though, boy, killing is such a horrible thing. Yeah, they certainly have gotten to the point where capital punishment is completely unacceptable. But that doesn't make sense because in the military, at one point, one of the military officers like, threatens uh, Sinclair with some, like, an execution squad. I know that that was mentioned. That's the military. The ombudsman is a civilian. Yeah, but still, I mean, what's the real difference there? The military is made up of people. The difference is a uniform code of military justice as opposed to the civilian law. I just find it odd that if it exists in the military... It's got to exist in in the real life. I don't see it as that weird because I, I, I mean it's, it's to me it's no more weird than the fact that they have a clearly delineated command structure, which we don't necessarily have in real life. Mm. You know, it's just another aspect of the way r- military life is much more rigid than civilian life. You know, in order for them to be able to keep that uh, discipline, mm. and so I don't, I don't see it as being that much of a difference. I guess. One of the uh, uh, cool things that was brought up that I liked the consistency of is that, okay, the guy's been convicted of murder. And the PSYCOR or, you know, as part of the law, someone from PSYCOR has to scan him to get a baseline to, you know, understand, okay, this was successful. Right. Um, but uh, Talia mm-hmm. makes a very big point of saying, I, I'm not going to tell you anything else I see in there because Garibaldi wants him... That's not what she says. She says she's not going to go looking for anything else. Okay. The, the point that I'm trying to make is, clearly, the Fifth Amendment 
still stands yep. in, in the society. In that, you know, we're 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 going to protect against invasive scams, even if you are convicted of right. you know this horrible, awful crime. Yeah, because and it's bas- it's the same reasons that we're given as why we do it today, which is look, your own thoughts cannot be used against you. Uh, in this manner. Yeah, that they're not admissible in court is yeah. really what it boils down to. I, I like that that was at least a little consistent. I okay. enjoyed that. Yeah, it, I think it shows the fact that J. Michael Straczynski has, at a fundamental level, an appreciation for the Fifth Amendment that, you know, you don't necessarily hear leak so much out into other forms of pop culture, you know, that, but that he's saying, oh, you know what, I'm actually going to apply it to something that's completely invented, which is the concept of telepathy. Yeah. And, uh, well, as a, as a liberal, I would uh, expect as much from him. <laughs> um, okay, so this guy's really mentally strong. This guy, Carl Muller, because um, he freaks out Talia when she scans him. Well, I don't know that it was that he was mentally strong so much as it was that she saw in his mind the depth of his insanity. Yeah, but he was... It looked to me like he was toying with her. Huh, okay. Like the way he started to parade through all of his various victims. The, the choir that was going to sing him to heaven. Yeah, he he was screwing with her. That big guy, time. that guy, Mark Ralston, he definitely played a super creepy guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did a great, great successful job. on it. Yeah, um, and uh, clearly, once again, just like in Star Trek: The Next Generation, there is the worst security ever. When it comes to moving around this horrible criminal, apparently only three people are going to take well, him from his cell. And they don't even cell. lock down the lift to, for military use? Oh, you know, they say, oh, geez. it's going to be used for escort? No one else get on it? Yeah. Why there aren't leg irons on him? Yeah. Uh, it, why he isn't chained down to the hilt? And why the other guy, the, the one who he Blue. hits, um, like, he just was standing there as though, like, I'm kind of bored. Yeah, nothing <laughs> nothing interesting is going to happen here. And then he gets a crap beat out of him. Uh, I just... Ridiculous. I also find ridiculous. it inconsistent that a guy who thinks he has to kill people in order for them to sing him into heaven has an unconscious body laying at his feet, a gun in his hand, and he doesn't stop to put one in the guy's head. Well, he's, uh, he's a psychopath. You know, he's got to have a reason for his killing. Well, the reason is that they're going to sing him into heaven. Why wouldn't he? Why didn't he Wait, put that guy it, in his is choir? Is it psychopath or sociopath that would uh, would do that? I never psychopath. Psychopath. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. he's either one or the other. I'm, I'm comfortable <laughs> with it. I'll he's live. both, definitely. <laughs> uh, anyway, the guy goes down there, and uh, uh, he had taken a PPG blast. He finds the woman who's got the machine, and. Uh, he hooks himself up to it to get himself healed, and then she quickly reverses the machine and forces all of her sickness and disease onto him, and he dies. And she, I'm assuming, captures all of his energy, right? That's why she says, yeah. I have a new lease on life. I've been cured of Lake's disease. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, so she feels bad about it, but uh, now she's going to go do something good. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to add? Uh, two quick things. The first is that... Uh, just about Londo and Lanier really briefly. When Londo is using his genitalia oh, um, to cheat yeah. at cards. I, I'm glad we had to bring that up. And the guy puts the water pitcher down on it. Why doesn't Londo just say, can I have a drink of water, please? <laughs> I just thought, eh, okay. Um, you're, you're not even going to get me to comment. Okay. 
the uh, the other thing I had is there's a honk in here. There's a, a nice honking sound effect. The alien healing device, according to Dr. Franklin, quote, might be able to preserve someone's life when nothing else works, unquote. So honk, that that will come back. Not a big one. Little one. No. Okay, Pete, do we have uh, listener comments this we week? We have a lot. Awesome. And that's great. It is really great. So you don't get a choice in this. I'm just starting from the top and reading <laughs> down. Okay. I never get a choice anyway. I get the illusion of choice. <laughs> yeah, the fans don't know that, though. Uh, okay, we're going to start with uh, listener money bags. Uh, he says, is it just me or does Dr. Love, uh, I mean, Dr. Franklin, get a lot of girls? I think he has more romantic relationships through the course of the series than any other character. Anyway, this was an okay episode. We have an alien healing device, a new form of capital punishment based on telepathy, and Londo and Lanier look at strippers. Wait, what? <laughs> the pairing of Londo and Lanier was interesting, but the plot felt forced. Uh, a Centauri senator tells Londo to foster relationships with the other races. So Londo grabs the first alien he sees and heads out for a night on the town. Does he even know who Lanier is at this point? <laughs> Why not just go out by himself, flirt with some alien woman, charge everything on his expense account, and then report back, mission accomplished. Oh well. Again, it's a humorous subplot, so I'm going to cut the writers a, uh, a little slack. Also, we get to see Lanier kick some butt, and his lie at the end, and the explanation of the lie... Is a good scene. And we get to see Londo use his Nakalian feeder to cheat at cards. Classic. <laughs> I'm almost certain they reused the feeder prop for this scene. I think you're right as well. I thought the exact same thing. You're both wrong. I, it looked incredibly it, it, similar to it me. It does look similar. But uh, there's, a, there's like a three-page section in the scripts book where he goes on and on about how the, the two women who run the props department kept coming back to him with uh, looking for feedback on Londo's what he calls appendages saying so should it be bigger should it be smaller should, and, he, and he's like at, at one point they just got too graphic even for me and I said it's fine please stop <laughs> <laughs> clearly they were enjoying that I wasn't even going to bring it up because I hated that part of the, the story anyway uh, the alien healing device plot was okay I'm glad they included the death of personality plot uh, and intertwine the two since neither was strong enough on its own. Why was Franklin so skeptical at first? It's not like this woman claimed to have made the device herself. It's alien. Surely it's not impossible to conceive of alien medical science beyond our own. Death of personality is an interesting concept too, and the guy playing the killer did a good job of being creepy. Of course, there could be complications. I wonder if this will ever be addressed. <laughs> uh, TV6, uh, Sci-Fi 7. I'm torn. There are too many good sci-fi concepts to give this a low rating. But I also gave Deathwalker a 7 for sci-fi, and I think it's a better episode. Perhaps I rated that one too low. Okay. Okay. Uh, next we have... Correspondent Jim checking in. <laughs> Uh, Joey and Peter, a note regarding last week's show. Meatloaf is my sister. Oh. Wasn't it cool that she emailed? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I hope you are both doing well. To the commentary. 
sometimes this show is just absolutely gross. And this episode holds one of the most disgusting moments in television history. Londo, cheating at poker, is using one of his prehensile pseudo-penises to swipe cards from the deck. Is this sanitary? I don't know if it is, but it is terribly disgusting. I really don't need to see his snake slithering out of his vest. <laughs> this isn't really my favorite episode, largely because it centers on the only character that bores me more than Sinclair, Dr. Franklin. But I have to admit, I have been thinking about two forms of justice proposed in the show, and I'd like to discuss those. In fact, it seems to me that the show is badly named, inasmuch as the show doesn't so much deal with the quality of mercy as the quality of justice. Reminds me of a certain other show called Justice. <laughs> Which one's better? <laughs> <laughs> I like the TNG one. Uh, in the future, humanity has found a new punishment for murderers. We destroy only their personalities and impose a new more generous personality on the body that it might serve us and, I suppose, quote, pay a debt to society, close quote. Another society has solved or had solved the problem in a similar manner by draining the life out of the convicted murderer in such a way as to relieve the terminal illness of others. It is the view of many that capital punishment is a waste, that only killing, only that only another killing has taken place with no actual good. These two methods seem to rehabilitate capital punishment through the addition of a benefit to society. Those who are uncomfortable with what they consider the imagined good of capital punishment, that the victim's families find some relief through the killing of murderers, will be comforted by the actual good of community service. Joey, Peter... What are your thoughts on these two punishments? Are they ethical? I think they are. Both of them? or both of them. I think they're both ethical. So you'd be totally comfortable with either one of them then? Yes. I, 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 like I said, given the information that we have from J. Michael Straczynski that the death of personality is mostly reversible. Uh, I am not okay with the death of personality part. Uh, I know, you know, if this is supposed to provide some sort of comfort where... You know, they can look at it and say, oh, he's atoning for his sins as he's picking trash up off of the highway or cleaning out the methane toilets. Um, it, I don't find that that would... The fact that I would still see you and know that it was you that did it, mm -hmm. even if you have another personality in you, I uh, that would still anger me. Okay. The, the very fact that you exist. Yeah. So you, I, think, that, I'm okay. you think you'd be missing the closure aspect? Yes. I'm okay with slowly draining their life away uh, to, to pay for, you know, that, that life that they took to give to somebody else. Even if it's not the person who's going to, you know, who was murdered in this case, I think that's totally okay. okay. I, I can live with that. Okay. Um, Jim continues. I am dubious that they are, though I must admit that I am working more from intuition than study. But I'll try to present a sound argument that neither of these forms of punishment is just. Let me back up first and state why capital punishment is the proper punishment for a murderer. That will help us see whether or not it needs further justification by community benefit. 
When someone murders another, no restitution can be made. This isn't like theft where goods can be returned, or vandalism where property can be restored or replaced. This isn't a lie where the truth may then be told. Once the life is taken, it is gone. The rabbis teach that uh, he who takes a life, it is as if he destroyed a world, because he does not kill just one person, but all the possible generations to follow. Human life is sacred, and once taken, it cannot be replaced. Now someone who does not hold human life to be sacred, there is only one logical end for him, and that is to be killed, not as a service to society, but as a punishment. He can never restore that, uh, restore what he has destroyed, and his cavalier treatment of others makes him unworthy of life. No, no additional benefit is needed. Now, maybe it would still be nice to have some benefit from killing a murderer. Perhaps it might salve your emotions. Many of us will want to forgive a murderer right off, even if he shows no remorse. So they are likely to not want to see him killed. But this isn't about vengeance, and they oughtn't feel bad. This man is just unworthy of life. We are not getting even, nor are we the same as he is. He kills the innocent. We don't. And we must make sure we understand the difference. But still... Even if we weren't looking for a benefit for emotional reasons, surely it would be nice to find some use for the guilty. Well, I'm not so sure. Uh, sorry, well, I'm not so sure. The Torah teaches that when an ox gores a man and kills him, the ox is to be killed, and it is not allowed to be eaten. Why? I'm not sure. But I think it's because we aren't to benefit from the ox after it's killed a man. Human life is sacred, and we must be sensitive to the fact that a man has died. There is something vulgar about eating the ox after it killed someone. If we apply that to a murderer, and I'm not sure that we can, we shouldn't benefit from him either. He would be as a forbidden object. Furthermore, it's a duty to put him down, something solemn and not something from which we should derive benefit. Plus, the services rendered can never balance the scales. The mind wipe turns the murderer into something of a servant, but to the community. They don't serve the person they injure, inasmuch as the victim is dead. So there are two problems with the, just, uh, with the justice of the act. One, the services rendered cannot atone for the murderer. Two, the services rendered aren't given to those who suffered. On either count, this seems to fail as an act of justice. The machine suffers basically from the same problems. It can never undo the murder, never pay it back, because once gone, the person murdered can't come back. And whoever is healed by the murderer is not the person who was killed. So again, this isn't justice, mere utilitarianism. And I don't think we want to begin turning punishment into a way, uh, into a way to profit from the suffering of others. <laughs> I wish... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was expecting you to laugh. It just took a little longer. Uh, I wish I had a better argument. As I say, I really only have an intuition about this right now. 
I'd like to sit down with some Plato, some Aristotle, the Torah, and think about justice, but I don't have time right now. I have only a few other small comments about this episode. The scene where Talia goes into Muller's head is all wrong. He stands there intimidating her. But the scene should have played more quietly. He should have been more sincere in his belief that his victims comprised a choir to get him to heaven. If he had come across not as bragging, but explaining, the scene would have been eerie rather than goofy. And that's where he ends. Okay. Uh, that's a lot. Well, I, so I just want to, just to briefly say, I, you know, I, I think he, for me, there are two different questions there that he addressed. Whether or not it's ethical and whether or not it serves the purpose of justice. I believe that the actions proposed are ethical. I don't know that I'm convinced there is anything you can do to a murderer that will fulfill the demand of justice. Killing him does not satiate the, the crime that was committed. It doesn't make anything any better. Neither do either of the actions proposed in this episode. There, I, I honestly don't think at the point of murder... There is no longer any alternative open which can actually provide what I would call justice. Wow, I you really have become a liberal, haven't you? I still am in support <laughs> of the death penalty. Just oh, to be clear. Oh, okay, okay. I still support the concept of the death penalty. <laughs> but just because of your bloodlust. <laughs> <laughs> because today with today's technology, with the information we have now, it's the closest we can get to justice. But I don't think it completely fulfills the demand of justice. Do either of those other two scenarios? No. Uh, do you no. think that those I, 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 to justice? Like, I, no. I, I don't. I don't think any of the three options that we have before us completely fulfill the the requirement of justice. I don't know that anything less than our Creator can do what I would consider a fulfillment of the of the demand of justice. Okay. Um, but yes, I think there is something something to be said for. I understand his point about the Torah saying, you know, you can't benefit from the, the the death of the man. But I do think there's something noble in the concept of saying, you know what, even things that are cast off, we can find a way to make them a part of society. Yes, I I understand that sounds incredibly utilitarian. But you know, I've never been that far off from the utilitarians anyway. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, Locke had some good points. <laughs> uh, I, I'd like to say a couple of things. Uh, number one, I'd like to ask Jim, where does he come down on the issue of death row inmate, let's harvest their organs? Hmm. Let, let's, let's use that. I'm curious where he comes down okay. on that. Uh, I personally, totally okay with Me it. Me too, yeah. Absolutely okay with it. Let's get whatever we can out of these people. They've taken away so much... Let's try and get at least some sort of good out and, of it. And I like that uh, comment that he had that I think he said from his rabbi that was, uh, if you've killed a person, you've killed a whole world or something yeah. along those mm -hmm. lines. That Yeah, I, I agree. You can, you, there's no way we can know what damage that that did. Who, you know, what might have that person's great, great, great grandson have invented that sure. could have brought a benefit to humanity that now will never be invented as a result. Um, I don't, uh, I, I like that from a philosophical standpoint, but I don't like to get into hypotheticals. I, right. I'm, I'm saying, I don't think, I don't think we can measure it. And so there's no point in 
saying, oh, well, it doesn't do it, so let's not do anything about it or anything like that. I'm just saying it was an interesting uh, way to put that to say, you know, consider the fact that, you know, it's not just the one death. It's all the potential for the entire human race that has been lost as a result. Okay. That, I, just, I just enjoyed that aspect of it. Now, for me, the uh, I, I'm just not, uh, as I said it already, I'm not a fan of the personality wipe. Uh, on on one hand, I don't think it's going to necessarily bring you know help the closure aspect you know for other people because they they could still see the guy like oh my gosh the murderer is still free, and on the other hand, all we've done is turned him into a slave, which I find yeah even in the case where it's a a horrible person you know this murderer I'm still not in the you know camp of of forced servitude. Okay. It's a little, it's awkward for me and I don't care for it. Um, but I absolutely, absolutely love the idea of that, that machine that will literally slowly take away from you and give to somebody else to, uh, that, that would need it. I think that's one of, that's a great concept that was uh, devised here. Yeah. Okay. We will come back to that topic a little bit more again, like I said, and as, uh, I think it was listener money bags who pointed out that, this will come up again. We shall see. Okay, next uh, listener here is uh, listener SpongeBob. Okay, and she says, "Hi guys, I am back from the brink of death and happily recovering at home. Good. Uh, were my last thoughts centered around my beautiful but tragically short life? Listener Bob and our eternal love and how fast he would find one to fill my uh, place." <laughs> Or my beautiful children growing up without their mother to forever change the makeup of their internal psyches and have a reason to see a shrink in adulthood? (laughs) No. My thoughts turn to Commander Sinclair. (laughs) (laughs) And why Mr. Mr. 50's Macho Man did not care a diddle about his missing 24 hours. (laughs) Or who it was that, uh, that was married in the Mimbari wedding ceremony. Is Susan a secret telepath like I suspect? Will Jakar and Londo ever let bygones be bygones? Is Ambassador Kosh the bad guy I suspect? Or is my alien xenophobia rearing its ugly head? <laughs> the great questions of life. Clearly we've hooked her. <laughs> I consider this my great victory. <laughs> uh, having watched too much Maury Povich... Than what is actually healthy alongside Babby uh, Five, I now think the, that Delenn is pregnant, the chrysalis, <laughs> and thinking that the commander will be adamant that the baby ain't his. <laughs> oh, All to be answered, I hope soon. <laughs> oh gosh! Went in a weird, weird place for you, didn't it? Well, I'm just, I'm just thinking. <laughs> She's going to have a heart attack in season four. (laughs) All right, don't say anything, don't say anything. Uh, I cannot backtrack all the episodes, but I have fallen head over heels for Babby 5. And since I am the only one able to stay awake and am not currently working uh, full-time slash writing a dissertation on the West Wing slash supporting a milking-it-for-all-it's-worth post-surgical wife, (laughs) listener Bob has handed the email writing reins over to me. Uh, for any episode he couldn't quite make it through, his rating will be listed as <laughs> <laughs> onward and upwards. Episode 21. 
An interesting point, which I am unsure if it has been covered before or was even intentional. A mimbar in the Islamic religion is the place where, an, where the imam stands to give the sermon on Fridays and religious holidays. I really enjoyed this episode. Actually, that's a good point. Uh, did uh, Straczynski pull I from... I haven't ever heard that before. I mean, I'm not saying he didn't, but I haven't ever heard him address that even. He's never mentioned it uh -huh. like as like as part of the Not that anything origins. I've seen. Uh -huh. Okay. That would be interesting but to know if there is a correlation. I, I you know, I certainly think it, even if it, even if there is a correlation, it's at least more subtle than calamari. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I uh, going back. I really enjoyed this episode. Both plots with the free clinic slash alien healing technology and Londo taking Lanier around were great. Londo's a complex guy. Though, because at times he is showing a great amount of character, but then is manipulative and seedy. He certainly took advantage of the situation with Lanier, and could have had a very public scandal. I also enjoyed the story with the doctors and the alien healing machine. At least the serial killer situation came to a satisfying conclusion. But surely Talia should be given more support, and on a ship of that size, two Psychor officers at least are needed. The mysterious dude asking everyone what they want. Ah, you know that's going to come back to bite. <laughs> it was like the devil finding... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Will you stop it over there? Uh, it was like the devil finding out what's the price for your soul. Uh, I just wanted to say to them all, don't do it. Stop. Just say you want the good old days of the drive through Krispy Kreme. <laughs> Sigh. They never listen. I will not be giving a sci-fi uh, television rating and will stick with a total enjoyment rating. Okay. So mine for this episode is eight. Enjoy the plots and the incarnation of the devil. Bob? <laughs> All right. Uh, good, good, uh, good SpongeBob. And uh, welcome back. Seriously, we uh, we miss you, and we're glad that you are feeling much, much better. You know, she's not the only one yelling at the screen, don't do it, don't do it. My wife. <laughs> no! No, don't do it! And I'm like, honey, you're going to wake the kids up. <laughs> I mean, she really gets into it. Uh, we do have a couple other people, but they didn't write for this episode. They wrote for Chrysalis. Okay. So we're, we I won't read them just yet. Pete, your science fiction rating. My science fiction rating. Uh, I like this. Um, not great. Like, obviously, the C-plot has n nothing to do with science fiction, in my oh, opinion. I can't possibly agree. Well, you, you get to have your say. Uh, because there's, there's I think nothing... I'll have my say right now. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's nothing worthwhile uh, or interesting that we learn about Londo and Lanier. Nothing. Um, and we've got some guy who murdered people, but we have... The, the sci-fi stuff that I think is cool, that I think is worthwhile, is the 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 personality wipe. And then this this machine. I think those are very interesting. Um, without any of either of those two, it would have got a much, much lower rating. I give this a five. Okay. I give this a seven. I disagree with you. I think that uh, we learn about... Londo's genitalia. That is science fiction. Good science fiction? I, I'm, I'm not saying it's good science fiction. I'm not saying I wanted to know about it. Great. I, it I rated it down fiction. because of his genitalia. 
I also really liked that we get to find out that the Minbari use a base 11 mathematical system. <laughs> which is why Lanier can say with a straight face that he spent his 11th and 11th years doing certain things. <sighs> it's a base 11 math. It makes perfect sense. Totally logical. Yeah, and, yeah. That, that makes total sense. Let, let's just move up to 11 as opposed to 10. Why would they have a base 11? They don't have 11 fingers. How do you know? Did you stop and count? <laughs> do the Nimbari have 11 fingers, Joey? I, I don't know. I haven't stopped. <laughs> you haven't stopped. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I haven't watched the show nearly enough to notice the number of fingers they I, have on I, their I'm hands. I'm not pausing and going, wait, one, two, oh, three, geez. four. <laughs> Base 10 is the only thing that makes sense. Ah. I, I, I will quote Londo at you. Ah. <laughs> Go on. Um, and the alien healing device, which I think is super cool science yeah. fiction. I give it a seven. Uh, for television, this is this is horrible stuff. Uh, not interesting terribly. Um, I, I found this worthwhile only up to a three. Hmm. I give it a five. I I like a lot of aspects of it. I think it's a little bit fun. Uh, there's some good drama to it. Mark Ralston did an awesome job, and June Lockhart did a, a really good job as Doctor Rosen. There's a, a note in uh-huh. the Babylon 5 script book where he talks about um, June Lockhart is actually a former cast member of Lost in Space. Yes. With Bill Mummy? Mummy. 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 We'll continue to do this every time we mention yeah. him. Yeah. He uh, he had been pushing uh, J. Michael Straczynski to hire former cast members of Lost in Space. And so we said, okay, uh, you know, we found an opportunity to do it. And then they don't get a scene together. They're never yeah. together, the whole film. And so he says... I, I think that's done on purpose. Well, no, he, he says that he did it on purpose. Oh, okay. And, and uh, apparently, if you watch closely, uh, Lanier had gone... Bill Mooney had gone and gotten out of his makeup, gotten into an extra, you know, just some random clothes, <laughs> and walks past her at one point in the episode. He says, if you watch real close, you'll see this red-headed guy walk past her and give her a smile... And that's Bill Moomy, and we had words about that. He says, <laughs> <laughs> "But uh, I oh, really good, good for him. I, I think that it's smart that he didn't do that, just because he. You put those two together. I, I think you have to write the line: danger, danger. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to do something goofy like yeah. that. So I'm glad that they didn't. But I, I really like both of the of the guest stars that we see here. I. I know that my wife sitting next to me, you know, she was just as into the episode, enjoying it just as much as I did. Yeah, I, here's the problem I have with June Lockhart. I don't think she was that great of an actress. I didn't think she brought anything to that role that made me feel anything for her whatsoever. There was nothing there. It did for me. Um, do you have a P5 rating? Yes, I do. The P5 rating for this episode is 7.29. Moving on to our next episode... Chrysalis. Garibaldi uncovers a plot to assassinate the president of Earth. Dillon begins a mysterious transformation after having a cryptic conversation with Ambassador Kosh, who tells Commander Sinclair, So, it begins. <laughs> uh, good episode. I like this episode. I, I enjoy this. I really like this episode. Let me read from the Jim Michael book here. He says... One of the things that makes Babylon 5 different from other shows was our decision to shoot our season finales mid-season, rather than the end of the production year. 
This was made possible by virtue of planning out each season ahead of time in meticulous detail. It was made necessary because the number and complexity of special effects involved would need considerable time to render. So though Chrysalis was broadcast as episode 22, it was filmed as episode 12. Jeez. This strategy was not, however, without complications. Chrysalis shot as episode 12 shows Londo and Morden meeting for the second time. A month later, we shot Signs and Portents, in which Mr. Morden and Londo meet for the first time. <laughs> so for the Chrysalis, the actors would have to play the characters getting together for the second time before they'd ever met for the first time. I'm sure th- I'm, I may also make sure to explain this in the body of the script itself. As you will note in the scene where M- Morden calls Londo, to his, calls Londo in his quarters, a narrative aside that refers to Signs and Portents as Raiders! <laughs> To further complicate matters, a lot was going to happen between episodes 12 and 22, but most of those scripts had not been yet yet written yet written. <laughs> wow. Since that information would be very helpful to the actors as they prepared for Chrysalis, I sat down Peter Jurassic and Andreas Katsulis and gave them just enough information to play the scene in Chrysalis without giving them so much that they would play the result instead of the process in the episodes that followed. So just kind of an interesting note there. He also talks about how it took them so long to render. Even though they shot this as episode 12, they delivered the final cut of the episode to the network 24 hours before it was supposed to go on the air. And then the network proceeded to lose the copy. Oh, no. Rather than call up the Babylon 5 production team and say, hey, we lost our copy. Can you you know, physically courier one over to us right now? They went back to the daily stills. And tried to recut the episode. Oh, jeez. One of the things that they didn't have when they did that was the scene where Londo is walking through the garden maze. All of those bushes are actually CGI generated. Yes. What they had was Londo's character walking past one bush on a soundstage where the exit sign is clearly displayed on the wall. Oh, did you get that? I read... uh, No, I didn't read anything. I... After I got done with Chrysalis, I was like, wow, okay, I've got the rest of the evening here. I noticed that there was a commentary on oh, okay. it. Right. So I listened to, well, fell asleep through part of <laughs> the commentary by uh, uh, Mr. Straczynski where he talked about that. And he was like, oh, yeah, fans were all of a sudden like saying, why was there this big exit sign right in the middle there? Why would there be an exit? Is that exiting right out into space? Uh, you know. But he didn't explain it the way you just did. He just said, uh, because of some production issues. <laughs> that is a lot more interesting, uh, what you said, than uh, his production issues. Yeah, well, I'm sure that he, you know, for the uh, official DVDs, he was a little more careful than he was in these books. Because, you know, there's a much smaller, hardcore audience. Here, what here. does it matter now? You should be able to say whatever the freak he wants. That's a good point. Um, okay, well, that uh, sucks for him. Um, I, I find that difficult, that a little weird. Why label something, why an episode as Raiders if you don't want to give away what's going to happen down the line when you end up filming the very last episode of the season in the middle? Well, the how, episode, how are you preserving the episode anything? called Raiders got renamed? Yeah, I, I know it got renamed, but. It seemed to me like they were trying to hide things about what was going to happen down the line. Right. 
and that's why it was called Raiders internally because that didn't give away any of the the relevance of the episode necessarily because it's just Raiders. I mean, it's very abstract and and brief. Mm. Whereas it would actually be aired under the name Signs and Portents, which makes it seem like much more of a, a big deal of an episode, given that everybody knew the season was called Signs and Portents. Um, okay, so the actual episode itself, uh, we have once again. The worst way you can deliver news ever, which is halted and uh, incomplete. Yeah. Um, and apparently there's some sort of impending doom. They're going to kill him. They're going to kill him. I have just enough breath to tell you something important. Uh, uh. <laughs> Come on. No, I'm Seriously? Gonna do that just to screw with you. <laughs> yes. When you die, that will be My dying words will be uh, something to just... <laughs> Piss you off. <laughs> what did he mean by that? I must search this out. There must be meaning in Joey's last final words. Uh, okay. Um, well, let's see here. My next note is, is Sinclair wearing a track suit? Oh, 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 oh. He's sitting there in, in when he and uh, Sakai yeah. um, are sitting there in their quarters and they're watching the news. I look, I was His like... pajamas look a little weird. He's wearing a track suit. <laughs> like, honestly, that's... They must have a, a budget of like fifty bucks per person <laughs> with which to to work uh, on this show because I mean that's a horrible. I, I, I chose thing. to believe that those are actually Michael O'Hare's actual pajamas, <laughs> <laughs> and he just brought him in because he's like, you know, I really want to be comfortable in this scene, so I brought my own pajamas. In. <laughs> anyway, worst proposal ever. I really liked it, and so did my wife. Maybe that explains why you're still, still single. <laughs> right, right. There's something wrong with me here. I thought um, it was. I thought it was really funny because it's clear that she knows what he wants to say, and he's expect. He keeps hoping that she'll jump in and fill in in the question for him, mm-hmm. and and she's just torturing with him with it. You know, saying, "No, no, I'm going to actually make you say the words." Yeah, it's <laughs> and horrible. Like, he finally like... spits it out to say, "Look, do you want to get married or not? I know you know what I'm trying to lead up to." <laughs> Dumb, bad scene, um, but uh, it's soon washed away because Morden yeah. is back, and uh, <laughs> but not I... before we get. A really funny moment that I wanted to put in here. All right. We talked about it on the way in. Um, when Londo is talking to Verity, saying, you know, I feel like I'm being nibbled to death by... What are those earth creatures called? Uh, Feathers, long bills, web feet, go quack. And Vera's response is cats. He's like, yes, that's right. I'm, be- I'm being nibbled to death by cats. And I, I think that's hilarious. Just, just because of the mental imagery and the concept of being nibbled to death by ducks. Is hilarious. Like it would take, especially because uh, I think I've mentioned before on the podcast. I hate ducks. I think oh, they're the most annoying you've never, animal. You've never mentioned. I've that. never told my story about ducks. No, not to my knowledge. When I first moved up to Salt Lake City, um, I was working like twenty-hour days as a computer programmer, and most of the most of that was spent at night. And so I would come home at about eight o'clock in the morning, and I lived in an apartment complex right next to a pond i guess not really a lake but a a really large pond and uh there were lots of ducks on that pond and these kids well the people who lived there before me had children who would feed the ducks outside their bedroom window well that was now my bedroom window 
And so the ducks would come every morning at right about the time I was laying down trying to go to sleep to get the precious three or four hours of sleep I did get a day. And there would just be quack, 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 right under my window. And it just drove me crazy. And I got to the point, and I lived there for, I think, two years, got to the point where I hate ducks. I absolutely hate ducks. Okay, can I ask you a question? Why didn't you just pick a different time to go to bed? <laughs> that seems like the easier course. Because I was working with people from Russia, and I had to be online during their business day. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Ugh. It, it was it was absolutely terrible, um, and so I got to the point. I now I hate the duck, and and people found out that I hate hated ducks, and they've used that over the years to torture me. Uh, there was one guy that I worked with that went out and recorded the sounds of duck quacking and made it like his sound effect on his computer whenever there was an error message that would pop up. It was his computer would quack, and you know just people torture me with it. And so the idea of being nibbled to death by ducks is truly horrifying. <laughs> It would take a long time, man. Understood. They, Joey they're, doesn't they're, like ducks. Their their beaks can pinch, their bills can pinch, but they don't really tear flesh very effectively. <laughs> I like. I I thought that was a funny scene. Uh, okay, so Morton's back, and he wants an audience with Londo. Yeah. And uh, Londo says, "Hey, what what did you need?" And he says, "We hear that you have a problem in sector thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. And uh, Londo's like, yeah, there's there's nothing we can do about this. And he says, we are prepared to take care of that for you. And Londo finally wakes up, I think, enough to say, well, what's the price yeah. for this? And, uh, of course, Morden says, oh, no, 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 there's no price for this. We offer this freely. But perhaps... Sometime in the future, we might ask a favor of you. And uh, I know Straczynski uh, talked about in the uh, in the commentaries, like you know, hey, this is heavily taken from uh, you know the the Godfather, you know that that whole work yeah. of you know, hey, one day I might ask a favor of you, uh, uh, type of thing, where you know it's pulled directly from. Nice that. Brando. Thank you. <laughs> Been working on that for a long time now. Um, but uh, it's, you know, the favor down the road. Never, ever get into a deal with anyone where it's, oh, no, no, happy to do this for you. You know what? Someday you can do me a favor as well. I disagree. Never get into No, I, I would never do that. Let, let the deal be done and settled right then and there so you know exactly what is being asked of you. <laughs> so there's not this like, oh, didn't you know? I needed your soul. Uh, I thought that was pretty clear when we signed this agreement. As long as you're doing something that is... I'm trying to think of the way to put this. If the revelation that you took advantage of that favor in the past could be damaging to you, I see your point. But if all it is is, hey, somebody's doing something nice for you in the hope that someday you'll do something nice for them down the road, further down the road, I, I have no problem with that. Or if I'm doing something nice... You know, like recording a podcast for you in the hope that you'll actually let me talk on the microphone. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I was half tempted to reach up and mute the microphone as you were saying that. I decided, I, I, I decided not to do it because I knew we would lose the joke anyway because it would be muted. Uh, but man, just know I was so close to doing that. 
I think there are times when it's okay. As, lo- as long as you're okay with, you know, it's not going to be a blank check. They say, oh, I want this is my favorite. You have to be able to say, no, that's too much. Uh, I, I will do something else. You know, make, make it smaller. You don't get to decide that. Oh, you do. You do. You absolutely do. You just have to be willing to live mm. with the consequence. No way. I, I don't, don't ever get into that. No upfront. What it is that you are going to have to... What end of the stick you're picking up, as it were. Um, Faber down the road doesn't work. Um, Okay, Uh, so Garibaldi's going around... Before we leave that, there was one other thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, Londo says, you know, when Morden first addresses him, he's like, you know, why are you, you know, wanting to do this for me? And Morden says, you know, we feel like you're underappreciated, that you have skills and abilities... That need to be brought to the attention of the right people. And Londo says, you know, I've heard that before and I've stopped listening. And I love the line he says. He says, there comes a time when you look in the mirror and you realize that what you see is all you will ever be. And you accept it or you kill yourself or you stop looking into mirrors. Yeah, wasn't that actually in the first time that they met Morton? No. Are you sure? Yeah, that was... It was this episode. It was this episode, yep. Hmm. I feel like that was from the first time. It was not. Okay. But, uh, you know, I I wanted to ask you what you think about that. Uh, have you hit that point in your life where you look in the mirror and you say, yeah, this is all I'm ever going to be? <laughs> no. <laughs> first of all, I'm quite comfortable with who I am. I, 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 the way I see Londo is he's given up. There, he's just resigned to whatever fate that he has at this point in his life. He's an ambassador, and that's all he'll ever be. And I, I, I dismiss that idea that that is all one can ever be um, offhand. I just I, I don't buy that at all. I'm not sure. So let me let me ask you to clarify there because you said two things which I feel on some level are mutually exclusive. You said. I'm quite comfortable with myself, mm-hmm. but you haven't given up. And I'd say, I don't understand how those two things are. I am a changing body. There is not, you know, I, I haven't. the way you are now. Londo has defined himself as something. I have not. I am Peter Nash. Peter <laughs> Nash is an ever-changing being. And oh. lots and lots oh, of stop. different okay. things. Okay, we got to move on. What? Uh, we you, ta- brought, you brought did, this I up. Did. We will talk about this more at the end of season three. Okay, Jesus. We will finish this conversation. At the end of I hope three. you're making note of all of these things that we're supposed to be talking about at the end of various things. <sighs> uh, I'm about to pop. <laughs> yeah, just so we're clear, you brought this up. I did. I did. You're right. You're right. <laughs> all right. I'm trying, uh, to, I'm trying to put it all back in here. <laughs> Um, the, uh, okay, so Garibaldi's going to look for, you know, find some clues about what's going on here. He meets this, uh, what I'm going to consider is an, a new snitch, uh, you know, who, who squeals on Devereaux, uh, basically, uh, for him. I like that guy. I do too. Um, I think we actually see him again in this series. I, I think we might as well, because Straczynski mentioned something about that. Okay. He's like, yeah, I use this actor again, yeah, okay. you know, in that same basic role. Um, but I recognize him. I I want to say that he was in the movie, um, 
Oh, shoot. Stargate. He played one of the uh, one of the kids who like goes around and, and helps um, the uh, the military people. Okay, he was like the idiot kid. You know the one I'm talking about. Yes, the, the one who's I'm like you know about. borderline uh, uh, mentally <laughs> handicapped. I yeah, want to say that that's that, the I same think you guy. Might be right. I think you might be right now that you mentioned that. I, but I, I knew that in in Stargate and in um, Babylon Five, there was no way that they were going to list this guy in uh, in the credits in any place that I would be able to find in, in an he, easy. Did you check? I didn't. I knew that it would be tough. I mean, because the guy's got what thirty seconds of, of actual screen time, and I doubt he's got a very big IMDb page. Um, and I have no idea what his uh, his character's name was in Stargate, so I can't exactly go look that up either. Gotcha. So I, I just didn't even bother. But he looks really, really similar. Okay. You should have gotten a look. It turns out he is an IMDb. Oh, wow. Uh, the character's name is Lurker Number 2. <laughs> <laughs> Lurker Number 2. The, the actor's name is, I'm, I'm sure I'm slaughtering this, Guinan Loeffler. And he was in Stargate, and the character's name in Stargate was Nabe. Awesome! So well done, Pete. It, Nailed it! Yeah. I'm a big fan of Stargate, so that's uh, <laughs> that's how I knew. Uh, let's, see, let's see here. Um, Garibaldi eventually discovers the plot. Can we fast forward that far? Uh, why, okay, yeah. why, why don't you just take okay. over here? Just so we know, everyone, here's where everything slows down. For Joey to take control. <laughs> I just, he makes this comment when he discovers Devereaux and he arrests him and then Devereaux gets out. Well, Pete's stripping. <laughs> that, was, that was very awkward there for a moment, Pete. You're welcome. <laughs> Not everybody gets a show like that. Uh, when Devereaux gets out of jail and he's called, you know, they call Garibaldi at dinner with Sinclair. Um, Garibaldi, he's just really ridiculous. He says, you know, I knew there was more to this Devereaux guy because he had a kind of weapon that's only given to really top secret agents and I couldn't find his name on the list of top secret agents. So... <laughs> <laughs> you know that's what right. I mean? It was really, really poorly done. I don't know yes. why that's in there. And yeah. like, I, you know, because that list is handed out to everyone. He, he, had, he had this gun that's a top secret kind of gun. So therefore, I am super special for being able to intuit that he's a super secret agent. I, I just I thought that was terrible. Yeah. But he does. He goes in and he finds the devices that were left behind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, I, I believe we honked in TKO when Garibaldi was warned, hey, you need to watch your back, Garibaldi. You, you always forget to watch your back. Because his aide shoots him in the back. Right. Literally. Yep. So if I can go to the, the J. Michael Straczynski book here. Uh, I, actually, this is from Asked and Answered. Where he says, uh, Garibaldi's aide has always been a plant. I seated him in from the beginning specifically for that purpose. It was the aide who got Sinclair out of his quarters in the sky. It was the liaison who got Benson online, also in security at the time, and helped dispose of the body. If you watch his reaction in Sky, he's the one who brings info to Garibaldi looking to clear Benson. And when Garibaldi sees through it, you can see the aide move off looking very worried. Originally, it was supposed to be Laurel Takashama who was to have betrayed those around her, as this character did. When Laurel was transferred, I had a choice to keep that arc for her replacement, Susan Ivanova, or to give this part of it to someone else. Knowing folks here on the net and elsewhere, 
I figured that everyone would assume that Ivanova would get that part. This became a wonderfully convenient blind behind which to build the real plant. And thus far, no one's seen it coming. He was right there in Clearview. We used him many times, and nobody ever paid him the slightest attention. Yeah, uh, the uh, commentary uh, also mentioned that and said, I didn't, uh, Straczynski said, I didn't even tell him that he was the plant until this episode because I didn't want him to give away anything accidentally. Uh, th- there's just one part of that that I, I just, I hate. I, every time I watch it, I cringe. When they find the pieces and he's holding the transmitter and Garibaldi says, hey, what numbers are on that transmitter? And he's like, I can't make them out. As though that's going to be some super clever diversion that Garibaldi will drop the question at that point or something. You know, I mean, I don't know why he doesn't just go, oh, you know, it's this, but I don't know what that is. Easier to fake incompetence than poor eyesight. (laughs) I it's meaningless to me. I, I don't. I I really get bothered by that scene every time we watch it. Um, we we skipped over the Narn outpost getting destroyed. Yep, I didn't really skip over it too much, but it, it, it happens. It, it gets absolutely decimated. We later find out from Natoth that there is nothing left. Not a single survivor. No records. No. Now I noticed they shot at the the shadow shoots at the planet as yes. well. Did they? It looked as though. Were those just craters that they were creating from the blast, no, there was or a, they were like transferring something down? No, there was a there was a, a Narn outpost on the planet okay. that they were destroying. Because the way that the the impact looked afterwards, um, it looked as though it was you know a spider like thing that had you know oh, okay. pulled out. But I guess it's just a big crater yeah. from where they had yep. exploded. Um. And and Londo is absolutely horrified at the you know the way that his Mr. Morton and his associates quote unquote took care of the problem. He's you know I did not realize that you were going to kill ten thousand people. I thought you'd disable their warships or maybe put some kind of pressure on them. Uh, you know, and and he's really really bothered by this. I I like this episode a lot. You know. I'm sure that he mentioned it in the DVD commentary. He also mentioned, J. Michael also mentions in his book here, how this is the episode where we see both Londo and Jakar get an opportunity to back down. You know, Londo has the opportunity to say no to Mr. Morden, and Sinclair goes to Jakar and says, look, we're standing at a crossroads. Yep. And we have the opportunity to go a different way. I don't like the way we're going. Mm-hmm. And both of them actually say... I'm doing what I have to do in, in one way or another. Yeah. Um, and I really like what J. Michael Straczynski says. Now, I haven't read – I've read maybe 30% of what's in these essays. And so if anybody who's enjoying this series gets a chance to buy these or borrow them and read them, there is some really, really good stuff in here. And one of the things that he talks about that I haven't shared a lot about is he goes on and on about how what he wants to show is process – and consequences of actions. Those are the two things that he really wanted to explore with Babylon 5. And what he says in here is, both Londo and Jakar make their decisions in the same way, believing that they have no other choice, that they are both doing what they have to do, just as the rest of us often tell ourselves that we don't have a choice in order to protect our hearts and obscure the truth, which is that by saying we have no choice, we actually have made our choice. He says, process, writing, acting, directing, it's all about process, about the search for power 
and the price of its acquisition, about the hunger for love and the risk of its apprehension, about the journey from here to there and the things we learn on the way. And that ultimately is the dream, that we do learn and grow during our time in the road, so that Londo's fate does not, in time, become our own. So, you know, it, I, I really like that because you know, he's talking about how Londo is just horrified at, at what his decision did when he made it a little bit greedily for, you know, personal gain and also without thought to what the consequences could possibly be. Like he said, you know, he, he left that way open to the point where, you know, they can come back to later and he's going to have to give them whatever they want because he will not be able to afford at that point politically to admit, oh, I didn't do this. Someone else did it for me. Okay. That's where I think it, it all goes wrong for Londo because he's only, again, he's thinking of himself mm -hmm. politically. And this is why I, uh, I don't think I'm ever going to love Londo uh, because that he sees in, in that fashion that that's, you know, he has to protect himself politically instead of thinking, you know what, the right decision, the moral decision is to do this other thing that uh, I don't necessarily like. The first time that he meets Morton, I, I, don't, I don't begrudge him in what he says or does. He did not ask Morton to go and get the eye. Right. He did not ask anything at all. He just answered some question to the point of, look, I want it to all go back. You know, that's just a wish of his heart. Right. Uh, and they are going to choose to use that for, you know, bad reasons. The second time, when he comes and finds, comes to find out what's actually happened, he's horrified. It's at that point, that point that he should be stepping away. Even the, the decision where he's like, wow, you guys can help me out? Okay, sure, that, that'd be great. I mean, yeah, it's dumb for him not to ask what they're going to do. To just say, you know what, sure. I don't want to know. You know, just go and take, don't, go take care of it for me. But after he finds out what they are and what they are willing to do, it's at that point that he should run like the dickens from those people. Even if it means politically, you know, he's done for. And he should be raising a huge ruckus if he is uh, a moral, worthwhile individual in, in the universe at all. I like what you said that you, you don't think he'll ever love Londo. I don't think I love him, but I pity him. Mm. Let's not go too far. Okay, all right. Because uh, we'll get there. You're, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Apparently I did not get it all stuck back in. <laughs> <sighs> uh, now here's something that I, I just wanted to briefly address because this was not clear to me on my first watching. I remember being really unsure about this and so I thought you know I think it's something that you're supposed to understand but that the for me at least the episode itself failed to explain what Dalin is doing is not something Minbari normally do it is not an understood process for them it is not like no one within the Minbari culture has any idea what the consequences of her going into a chrysalis are going to be it's not something that is you know a common ritual it's not you know i know that lanier says well i don't know what she's becoming at the time that i was watching it i, go, I thought oh well that just means that people go into this and who knows what they're going to come out looking <laughs> like or come out as kind of thing right but uh you know so i in watching this i was i was really confused for you know all summer it's like what on earth was going on with that this is something that only delenn really 
has information about. And she has chosen to do this, even though it's not a well-understood It process. seems as though she knows what she's doing, as far as like building this thing. She knows how to build it. So are there instructions somewhere that detail out how to, to build this that she obviously has? Can I answer that? Yeah, it's a simple yes or no. The Minbari have... It's a simple yes or no. <laughs> instructions, Think of it no. In... There, there are no written instructions. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to give some, some big explanation, some exposition okay. about all right, why. All right. all right. It just... <laughs> it, it is what it is. We're just stating facts. I, I have nothing else. Uh, you know, I have one, one last thing that I want to end with. So do you have anything that um, you want to talk about before we go on? Uh, let's see here. Delenn warns to Claire not to be late and then build something. Oh, the president ship is actually destroyed. Yeah. Got the big explosion there. That I'm was assuming a cool explosion. That's the big thing that they you know had to take so long to actually prepare. That's one of the two things, yes. Okay. Um, and... Sinclair is ordered to be quiet about the thing. I found that to be weird. I, I, you know, I saw it as a the the lady he's talking to. She said, you know, I, to me, it, it all comes out in the line that she says. I find it really difficult to believe that Mister Garibaldi could uncover something that our best agents had no clue was coming. It, it, it is all her personal position and pride and stake. That causes her to say, you know what, you're my subordinate. You are ordered to be quiet about this. Yeah, it, that was too weird for me. She's, she's covering up the fact that she clearly missed this. <laughs> um, and then uh, the line, and so it begins, uh, from uh, from Kosh. And uh, then then Delenn is changing into something, whatever it is. Uh, so, no, I, I don't have anything else. Uh, so the last note that I have here is just that... Uh, this, it's the second big CGI thing, which is Mr. Morden's associates. We get our first somewhat glimpse of mm, them. Right, 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 right. Mm -hmm. So that's a, uh, you know, honk, <laughs> in case I needed to. <laughs> I think we all should know at this point that these are, you know, significant figures in, in the coming season. Some sort of creature. All right, uh, listener emails. Uh, Moneybags says this. Okay, first the Garibaldi plot. In the episode Survivors, a plot on the president's life is foiled. Though the episode itself was terrible, it adds to the impact here when the president is actually killed. I didn't notice this the first time through, but I think JMS was lulling us into a false sense of confidence. It was a very gutsy move and showed us that no one on this show is safe. Uh, I don't think it proves that no one's on this show is safe. Some nameless yeah. character that I've never We never, never saw met. the president, yeah. yeah. Uh, however, the rest of the assassination plotline is garbage. <laughs> Let's see. One, Guy stumbles through B Babylon 5 and says, they're going to kill him, and then dies. It must be Tuesday. <laughs> Number two. What? what does that mean? It seems like... That's all. It happens all the time. Okay. All right. Number two. Bad guys leave incriminating evidence in the cargo bay instead of destroying it. Huh. That was convenient. Yeah. <laughs> Three. Bad guys thoughtfully tune jammers to the president's frequency before they arrive at their destination, <laughs> making them even more incriminating. Huh. Even more convenient. 
Those may have been hard-coded. All right, fine. That's a reasonable explanation. Uh, four. Garibaldi can't, uh, quote, can't discuss it on the link, close quote. Well, I guess this sort of makes sense, but when combined with everything else, it just seems stupid. Five. Garibaldi is supposedly a great security chief and incredibly paranoid, but once he figures everything out, he blabs everything with his traitorous second-in-command right there. Granted, he trusts him at this point, but this doesn't seem like the actions of someone as paranoid as Garibaldi. I would expect that once he figured out what was going on, he would say nothing and go straight to Sinclair. Now, of course, if the bad guy's plan were flawless, or if Garibaldi handled the situation perfectly, there wouldn't be much of a story. Uh, I just think that this could have been done better. It just seems like everything leading up to the assassination happens because the plot demands that it happen. Had the president survived, this entire plot would have been complete garbage. Of course, I don't have any suggestions for how to improve it. I'm just going to complain. Isn't the internet great? Uh, last week, I said I had a question about the triluminary. Actually, I have a couple of questions. One. What is it exactly? I don't think the show ever addresses this. I ask because it seems like some kind of magical Swiss army knife. <laughs> it can, A, knock people out, as seen in Legacies. Good catch, Joey. Yeah. B, interrogate slash torture people somehow. The Mimbari used it to interrogate Sinclair when they captured him. C, determine information about a person's soul. Apparently, souls have metadata tags. Who knew? C. Uh, well, I'm not going to read this one. <laughs> Edited for spoiler content. Yes. <laughs> D. Last but not least, when you stack it on the proper combination of what appear to be Mimbari Legos, it will generate a cocoon which, when entered, will allow you to... something. <laughs> I edited that as well. The first three sort of go together if you squint hard enough, but the last is a bit of a head-scratcher. It seems like this thing does whatever the plot requires. Yeah, okay. So, Joey, what is it exactly? Can you explain at this no, point? No, I can't. In fact... Does it ever get explained? No, no. And in fact, it, it actually... The, there's going to be a lot more head-scratching over the triluminary when we can talk about it. Uh, uh, suffice it to say... Um, it, it is a magical plot device. It's, yeah. a, it's, magic, a, it's a MacGuffin. Yeah. yeah. It, it's like the uh, in, in Star Trek The Next Generation, it's the transporter. Yeah. You know, it fixes everything. Um, which I think I'm okay with. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Two, uh, let's see here. Oh, his next question. We see in this episode that the triluminary is absolutely critical to Delenn's plan. No triluminary equals no cocoon equals no prophecy. But when she visited the Great Council, she didn't even ask for it. It's given to her as she's leaving. What was her plan if no one offered her one? The Delenn plot was cool. A mysterious answer from Kosh to an unknown question. She gets to see the Vorlon, also cool. Very intriguing for a first-time viewer. Why is Kosh involved in the prophecy? And why does seeing his true form give Delenn confidence? Hmm. Strokes <laughs> chin thoughtfully. 
Do you care to answer that question yes, right I now, do. Joey? Right now? <laughs> I'll answer him right now. <laughs> oh, wait, no. That's another one. We have to wait till the end of season four. No, we can talk about that in the middle of season two. <laughs> uh, funny. Oh, let's see here. The ending with Kosh and Sinclair was a bit weird, though. Why was it even necessary for Kosh to remind Sinclair about Delenn? It was too late. She was already in the cocoon. Uh, oh, well. It must have been the hour of cryptic and poorly timed statements. <laughs> I almost coughed my drink up all over my laptop. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> that was good listening to my emails. That was good. Uh, he continues, Morden was great in this episode. I'm not sure why Londo was so upset about the death of 10,000 Narn. Didn't this guy used to be a soldier? I think the key thing here is that the Narn never had a chance. Yeah. A straight-up battle is one thing, but I guess Londo is uncomfortable with a straight-up slaughter. Oh, and Sinclair and Sakai are going to get married. I don't care. Well, <laughs> it's another plot line that will never play itself out. Uh, TV7... Uh, Sci-Fi 7, I hope this counts more as space, uh, excuse me, I suppose this counts more as space opera, but the Triluminary and the Prophecy brings the sci-fi rating up. Until next time, uh, listener money bags. Right. Good, good stuff. stuff. Yeah, very good stuff. Okay, uh, listener Jim, sorry, correspondent Jim. Chrysalis, does anybody miss the variety of rooms for the staff to meet in that they had on Next Gen? Here, if they aren't on the deck, they meet in the captain's office. On Next Gen, you had the observation lounge and the conference room. And the captain's office. <laughs> I think he's making a joke here about yeah, the I observation know, lounge. Being the, being the same room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is it that uh, dying people only use pronouns and never <laughs> antecedents? Uh, Petrov is desperate to get a message to Garibaldi. So he stumbles around, severely wounded, until he can tell him. They're going to kill him. Okay, thanks for the most useless warning ever, Petrov. How is Garibaldi supposed to guess that the him was the president? Stupid dying people and their pronouns. If you're dying, Joey, and you need to deliver some message... Use pronouns to piss off Pete. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Grab a piece of paper and pen... Write a note and stick it in your pocket. But you know we do have to we do have to give a little bit of credit, I think, to the fact that Garibaldi did. Garibaldi said they're going to try and kill the president. He he actually got the information out there. Uh, who, who did he tell that to? Sinclair. He didn't tell that to him over the net. No, it wasn't until he crawled his way yes. up to find yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, only barely is that better. <laughs> Uh, well, it turns out the president's goodwill tour is really his goodbye tour. His ship blows up on the newscast, which is horrible, while Sinclair is trying to get a warning to the president. But after it happens, a senator just calls it an accident and tells Sinclair to hush up. What? It's not a coincidence if you put all the pieces together to a mystery before it happens. The senator must be in on it. I'm sure we'll see more from her next season. You know, a lot of stuff happens this episode, or culminates anyway. But I don't have a lot to say about it. The most boring couple in television history decide to get married. 
He hates Catherine Sakai so much. <laughs> I think he hates Sinclair as well. Londo is horrified when he finds out the polypuses have destroyed thousands of Narn for him. Delenn gets an important message from Kosh. Yes. That's my, that's, Kosh. That's my Kosh yeah, over there. Yeah, got it. <laughs> you can tell it was important because the intense stare that followed the message. And she finishes playing with her colored plastic pieces from the local craft store. <laughs> Lots of good stuff, just not much to say. Okay. That's it from Jim. Uh, so thank you, Jim. Okay. Next. Uh, oh, listener Sponge Bob. She says, uh, Bob feels this episode was the best episode of the season. Hmm. Strong plot and performances. Excellent pacing and puts you on edge. Bob thinks that Delenn wants to tell the commander about his missing 24 hours. And I think she's going to pop the you're the daddy speech, Maury. <laughs> Your most normal guests to date are coming. <laughs> I also really enjoyed this episode, but found the shock slash horror of the actors to the president's death a bit much. And felt... Uh, that, an, uh, that an onion had been passed around to get the tears flowing. They've come so far, and yet... Ah, the devil has you in his grip, Londo. You can only suppose that Jakar has turned to the homeland to prepare for war. I also wonder if the new characters are really new, or if they are actually in cahoots with Ambassador Kosh. Who are the shadows? When will we know? For there to be no questions answered is highly frustrating, and I am very happy to know that it was not canceled, but I'm quickly losing faith that any questions will be answered. As for ratings, I give it an 8, and Bob gives it a 7. Wow, he didn't fall asleep. <laughs> he didn't, no. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll get to those questions. They will all be answered. <laughs> they will be. Uh, okay, so we next have... Um, uh, let's see, your JD, uh, who is going to have comments. He says, hey, guess what? I watched Chrysalis. <laughs> Better late than never. I guess I'm watching Babylon 5 now, finally. I like this one, too. I wasn't completely lost due to listening along with the podcast all along. But it was nice to finally put faces, makeup, and bad hair with the names. Sinclair's girlfriend slash fiancé is certainly prettier and far less annoying than Keiko O'Brien, too. Uh, I'm not saying that just because they're both Asian. Uh, Asian. No, I'm saying it more so because she's the only dedicated significant other attached to a station crew member. True, I didn't understand everything going on, but I'm not sure if that's because I'm out of the loop since I'm late, or if it was the writers deliberately leaving some mystery. Probably a little of both reasons. Anyway, I'm looking forward to watching more. JD. Um, thank you, JD. It's nice to have you actually with yeah. us once again. Okay, uh, next one here is uh, Listener Mother's Meatloaf. Correspondent Jim's sister. sister. Uh, Joey and Peter. Uh, so close to Bruce. Yet. <laughs> Bruce countdown? One episode away. Yeah. Uh, Chrysalis. First of all, if my husband, before we were married, said to me, 
So, you want to get married or not? It is very likely he would not now be my husband. <laughs> that was one of the lamest proposals ever. I'm not looking for something sappy, but some sort of emotion would be nice. I think there was emotion there. I just think it was all the wrong kind of emotion. Uh, you know, different couples work in different ways. For my wife and I, like I said, that scene really worked. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I did not have more time than this. Of course, there is so much more to say. Uh, Mother's Me. Okay. So that's all she was able to uh, get out at this particular point. All right, that's the last of uh, uh, listener comments. For science fiction, I give this one a six. You know, we have uh, the space battle of the... Well, that's not really much of a battle. We have the space <laughs> massacre of, <laughs> that takes place in, in Sector 37. Good use of the word massacre, by the way. We have uh, the President Earth Force One exploding, which I thought was very cool. Gra- as far well as done. as far as graphics go, that's the best one they've yeah, had to do. I agree. Yeah. Best one. Um, I, I I like this a lot for science fiction. Six. Uh, I'm right there with you. I agree with everything that you've said there. Six. For TV, I give this a seven. I know other people are going to give it a lower rating, but my wife and I sat down and we really enjoyed this episode. And it is at this episode that you either have people hooked or you have the, you you've lost them. If they if they aren't here with you by now enjoying this episode, they're probably going to be frustrated overall. Okay. Uh, what about a P5 rating? Nine point three eight. Okay. I can understand why it would be yeah. that high for the fans. Uh, for television, I don't think it's... I mean, it's okay. It's a reasonable plot, but not that great. Uh, I only give this a six. The acting, if it had been better... Maybe some plot points had been shored up a little bit more. I'm willing to come up to a 7 or something like that. Okay. But for the most part, no, it's, it's kind of low. All right, uh, moving on to season wrap-up. Um, why don't we start out with uh, general impressions, thoughts. Uh, Joey, what do you think? Uh, season 1? It gets much better from midpoint to the end. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's been a while since we've used it. I felt the need to, to press it. Um, oh, overall, like this season? I do, yeah. Um... I'm only so-so about the season. For me, this is kind of like a uh, season five or six or uh, of West Wing or a season one of Next Generation. I just think, eh, not that great. I really like the analogy, or the concept that J. Michael Straczynski goes into. Because before I ever heard him say this, the way I've always treated these is, as a novel, each season as a science fiction novel, and this is a good first book in an, in a science fiction epic. I think any good editor is going to cut out the crap chapters. Though. That's probably true. The, the The frustrating thing I have with this is, yes, I know we have to have a gentle slope of okay, let's get to know the actors, right? Let's get to know the characters. Let's start to fall in love with their various nuances. So there's going to be rough parts along the way, but I think that those can be done in a much better fashion to the point that I don't hate certain episodes. That you don't hate the process. Yeah, you, you don't hate uh, what uh, an episode brings to you about a character uh, because the rest of the plot of the episode just sucks so bad. And so I'm fresh. I would have preferred to see Babylon 5 have four seasons. 
a really solid story about what this thing is really about mm-hmm. and less about things that uh, you know the we get to periphery. see the 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 seedy underbelly of Down Babylon below. 5 um and and the weird stuff that we have to go through because well we need some filler episodes in between the uh the true story i i totally agree with your point but i do want to say that i think that out of any show that has filler episodes they do did a lot better job of even in the filler episodes because they know there's a greater arc j michael straczynski was always inserting something even into the filler episodes that would tie up so for example tko as awful as it is has that foreshadowing of garibaldi getting shot in the back yes yeah, that, it's that's terrible like, that is like a, an obscure one line comment that we're supposed to believe is foreshadowing i find that hard to believe okay uh, it just, it seems as though we're saying, oh, yeah, they did use that line. That must be foreshadowing. That's the way I'm going to get to sleep at night, you know, knowing that this episode is in season one. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, like I said, I don't want to disagree with you because you're right. It, it would have been awesome if they could have just skipped those episodes entirely. Yeah, I, I think I I like, um, I'm going to go ahead and say I like TNG season one better than this hmm. because I like how... Even in Star Trek The Next Generation's Season 1 episodes, everything is tied together. In this, there is too much that is disjointed and awkward. Even the place where they cut the scenes, you know, for the beginning intro, is this weird sort of uh, place that just doesn't really make sense. You know, it just, it doesn't, the story doesn't tie together that well as a cohesive single story unit you know a a chapter in a book if you will okay it is bizarre it's just the best word is disjointed for me and in tng i mean everything was about this one plot i mean there were stinker episodes like you know where data's cat is pregnant (laughs) and we've got that uh that greenpeace person going out and destroying the warp corridor you know that those those are just crap anyway. They're never going to be good. Uh, but as a whole, very, very cohesive in the story that they are telling. And everything is related and tied to each other. This, uh, it's frustrating for me okay. as, a, as a viewer. Okay. Uh, but still, there's some really good stuff that happens in season one Yeah. that I enjoyed. Really enjoyed. Well, and as far as I'm concerned, I got at least one of our listeners... To really get hooked into Babylon 5, which I consider that a victory right there. You have a, a new proselyte. <laughs> okay, Pete, do we have uh, some listener comments on season wrap-up? Here? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Um, we were kind enough to uh, get some things. Uh, let's do... We were kind enough? Uh, people were kind enough okay. to us. We were as well. We're offering our... No, I <laughs> Listener Moneybag says, uh, hey guys, uh, the long slog through season one is finally at an end. Uh, And just when I was starting to grudgingly accept uh, accept Sinclair, um, we'll not mention that last part, uh, it does make me wonder what the show would have been like um, if other things have played out differently. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Shouldn't have just read that entire paragraph. So, to wrap up the season, <laughs> here are some highlights and low points. Funniest moment. The tie between the Babylon 5 mantra and Ivanova being pranked by Garibaldi and Sinclair. Dumbest moment. 
the glowing triangle on Delenn's head. Oh. <laughs> I think there are a lot more you could have selected from. <laughs> favorite human character, Ivanova. Uh, favorite alien character, Londo. Best episode, Chrysalis. Worst episode, Grail. Huh. Yeah. I, wow. Uh-huh. Worst individual plot line. Three-way tie between the Mutai plot from TKO, the Talia Kosh uh, plot from Deathwalker, and the Runaway Teep plot from Legacies. He didn't... Uh, yeah, I think he, he chose all really good, bad plots. Well-selected. Yes, well-selected. <laughs> Most Improved Acting Award, Sinclair. Worst Acting... Sinclair. <laughs> well, of course. You can't be the most improved if you didn't start at the worst. Dishonorable mention? Takashima from the pilot. Uh, best acting? Londo. So, I okay. Most annoying char- uh, character? The Vicar from Deathwalker. <laughs> That's hard to disagree with that. Uh, worst guest actor? Uh, too many to choose from. Yeah. <laughs> Best guest actor, Zathras. Okay, uh, Tim Kohate, I believe is how you say his name. Okay, uh, and then uh, that's where he ends it uh, there. So, yeah, good, good wrap-up stuff yeah. from him. Okay. Uh, listener SpongeBob. She says, Babby 5 was difficult to start with. Lots of fortune-telling and prophesying. We have stuck with it, though, and made it through season one. It better improve. <laughs> Yes. It will improve. It will improve. It will, it will get better. Bob. Production values leave a lot to be desired and looks a lot like the sets they are. Similar to Star Trek Next Generation in its first season. Towards the end, you are able to look beyond what uh, that as the storyline improves and the actors become more comfortable in their roles. I think along the same lines and have been able to control my laughter... At the Centauri male excessive hair, and the female counterparts lack thereof. Standout episodes? Bob likes the last episode and the urgent pacing of it. I think it's because he stayed awake for the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite episode was when the rabbi came to help Susan deal with her father's death. Legacies. I've come to like Susan the most... But Sinclair and Garibaldi still grate my nerves a bit. Worst episode? Bob took longer to get into Babby 5 than I have, and thanks any of the first eight. (laughs) I have to disagree and say uh, it was either the pilot movie or the first episode. I am slow to judge, though, because I certainly needed the information and to come to grips with the basics of each alien culture. But it did slow the, the show down. The first time I saw Londo's hair, oh my. <laughs> first guest star. Uh, oh, sorry, favorite guest star. For Bob, it was Walter Koenig, who played the honest Psychor fella. <laughs> Interesting characterization yes. there, I think. <laughs> For me, I really liked uh, Delenn's mentor friend. Uh, or the rabbi. But I am a woman particularly fond of beards, and both were sporting very fine facial hair. 
What do we look forward to in the next season? Um, Bob just ruined Babby 5 for me by telling me something that I was not privy to. Oh. I'm editing this here. Bob! It wasn't, it wasn't too okay, bad. It right. wasn't too bad. Um, he is now looking forward to icy stares instead of these sweet glances he was getting <laughs> when passed out on the sofa. What am I looking forward to? Getting answers. Please tell me answers are coming. Please, please. And there you have it. There's your answer. Uh, okay. Listener money bags. Okay. No, sorry. Listener fish head. I was going to say, I thought we already did him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. He's back again. Um, as I have mentioned before, I remember when Babylon 5 first ran. And I did catch a few episodes here and there. If I had only ever seen the pilot... I probably wouldn't have ever bothered to try and watch any of the series. The few episodes I did eventually see didn't grab me enough to carve out the time to watch it. Even now, after seeing all but one of the episodes in the first season, I didn't watch Infection, I couldn't continue to watch it if this is all I had to base my decision on. Boiling it down to the basics, for a speculative fiction story to work, it needs to either have great characters or engaging ideas. The great ones have both. After 22 plus episodes, I still could care less what happens to any of the main characters. A couple of the secondary characters have begun to grow on me, and a few of the characters who appeared in only one episode interested me. But they could have changed out all of the ambassadors and station leaders, and I wouldn't have shed a single tear. <laughs> And I would have probably given a cheer or two. Garibaldi is a recovering alcoholic. His old flame is remarried. Boo-hoo. Dr. Franklin is a superficially conflicted physician. So what? Ivanova's dad died. Her old boyfriend is a terrorist. Big deal. Londa... I assume that that's the way he would want me to read it. Londo and Shakar don't get along. Meh. Sinclair doesn't get respect from Earth, and he is getting married. Who cares? It is possible to quickly become attached to and relate to characters. While I gave up on Firefly after a couple of episodes during its original run, um, once my brother convinced me to try watching them in the order they were intended to be experienced, I cared about everyone on the ship within just a couple of episodes. On the flip side... I was never really compelled to watch Firefly because of the concepts. To find out about the war, where the Reavers came from, why River was the way she was, etc. It was about the characters. As to concepts and ideas, some of the individual episodes in Babylon 5 had thought-provoking ideas, and I have seen the germs of other potentially interesting concepts, but nothing to drive me to watch the next season. So at this point, overall... It is a storytelling failure for me. I think you and many of the listeners following along are experiencing Babylon 5 from a different perspective than I am. You are looking at these episodes through the lenses of the series as a whole, knowing the end from the beginning. You are able to find gems hidden in the heaps of garbage that someone watching it for the first time would never pick up on and notice. Okay. Garbage may be too strong a term to apply to every single scene in every single episode, <laughs> but you get what I mean. 
As examples, the difference knowing the end of a developing story has considered how um, uh, the end of a developing story has consider how watching Luke pine after Leia in Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back is romantic. Until you watch those movies after watching The Return of the Jedi and you know they are, spoiler alert, brother and sister. <laughs> then it is humorous at best and just plain, plain creepy at worst. Also, think how knowing the end of The Sixth Sense changes how you rewatch the movie and your subsequent experiences with that movie. This is not an issue with series um, or stories that don't build or that aren't planned out. You are experiencing a different Babylon 5 with a rewatch as opposed to a first time watching. That's a good point there. I, yeah. I really, really like that. Uh, he continues, In addition to the characters, here are some other things that, to me, dragged the season down. The acting, the dialogue, the wimpy and whiny Norn and Centauri alien races, the lack of strong stories and ongoing captivating science fiction ideas, and the lack of realistic station security. <laughs> Is security in, er in, in any series ever shown to be truly good? Not, not yet. It would make a pretty bad uh, storyline. Like, yep. We stopped him right at the door. <laughs> Nothing happened today. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> Next week, <laughs> security catches another bad guy. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Uh, let's see. Even some humor would have helped. But so far, I have yet to laugh during this show. Oh, that's unfortunate. Sometimes at it, but not with <laughs> oh, it. Geez. The attempts of humor have been forced and possibly don't work because the actors can't carry it off, or I don't care enough about the characters to believe them. I think he's, for me, that's Garibaldi huge. Yeah, absolutely. Everything Garibaldi does seems forced when it comes to humor. I would agree. So far, Babylon 5 has not been the worst science fiction uh, series or show I have ever seen, but at this point... I am only moving forward with faith that things will get big, be, uh, get better because I have heard so many people talk about how good the series is. <laughs> if it doesn't really get any better and I stick through the remaining four seasons, I am going to personally hold both of you responsible <laughs> for the lost 80 plus hours of my life. <laughs> well, as we discussed earlier, there's actually no justice. So, you know, you're not going to get them back. <laughs> Uh, but that's fair enough for you to say, but i got to work I with know. this guy. <laughs> that's why I can say it like that. On the upside, I really appreciate the respect for religion the stories have shown. The psychor and psi concepts have been great. I have liked the realism the series has at least attempted with regards to politics, budget issues, labor issues, and a great effort to deal with the actual physics in space. Although not quite to level um, that the rebooted Battlestar Galactica did later on. And also, despite Peter's complaints, <laughs> I do like the CG space effects. That is, until they interact with something or explode. <laughs> <laughs> While I dislike two of the main alien races, the Mimbari have been interesting but we haven't really learned enough about them. 
to really get to know them and be able to care. I would like to be interested in the Vorlon, but we haven't seen them. What, only three or four times in the entire first season? It has been just enough to whet an interest, but not really enough to get me hooked and engaged. While many mysteries have been exposed, shadows, prophecies, time travel, hidden planet-sized machines, promises from mysterious men, etc., they don't have much weight yet, and without the characters to drive them, and they are just kind of there with nothing but potential. My least favorite episodes of season one, TKO and Survivors. I guess I am a Garibaldi hater. Based on emails and comments from those who have seen the series, I would bet that Signs and Portents and Babylon Squared will be on most of the top episode lists. At this point, I can't put them there. But I could see where in conjunction with a future episode or more fully developed story arc, they could be. But to me, they don't stand out on their own as things are. Looking at them individually and with what has transpired just through season one. My favorite episodes are Mind War, uh, Death Walker, Believers, and A Voice in the Wilderness. Wow, he really liked Believers. I'll have to talk to him about that. Um, Oh well, on to the year 2259. Um, I really like how he summed up the... uh, um, the episodes Babylon Squared and Signs and Portents, how he mentioned, look, they're great when you have something else to connect them to, the other side of what's going on. I, I just enjoy how he how he chose to word that yeah, stuff. I, I just want to say that, you know, he, he mentioned that, uh, he says, I think he said something along the lines of, most of our listeners are looking at this from the series as a whole. As far as I know, Mother's Meatloaf and Listener Moneybags are the only ones who even know what's coming. The rest of our listeners, I don't think the, the people writing in true. don't actually know what's coming, and so you know we, we we are getting from some people a genuine interest on some of these things just based on what they know from the given episodes. And I can say for myself, the first time around, Babylon Squared had me hooked. Again, time travel you you're gonna get me sucked in the minute you mention time travel, but you know without without ever knowing what the other side of that was. I immediately did like that episode. Right. I like a lot of what uh, what uh, listener Fishhead has to say because um, I see him very much like me as a sci-fi and fantasy lover. I mean, okay. I, I know I've had lots of conversations about other types of things, and I know he loves that stuff. Uh, so I, I can definitely appreciate where he's coming from uh, on that stuff. I, I do want to say that he, he makes an excellent point about Firefly and I, mm-hmm. I've talked before with people who are, are big Joss Whedon fans. By the way, I actually had the same experience he did with Firefly where I tried to watch it in broadcast order and hated it. And then Stunk Curtis it. told me, oh, no, you need to watch it in the original airing order. And when I watched it that way, much better series. I, I've mentioned before to people that I wish that J. Michael Straczynski and Joss Whedon could work together on a project. I, I just think that they're both such control freaks that it would never be successful. <laughs> Neither one of them would be willing to let the other one have any slack whatsoever. But if, if Maybe you could if... take the, the best of both skill sets and combine them in one person, you would have an amazing storyline. Uh, I uh, I would like to think that there could be some sort of Joss Whedon 
uh, and J. Michael Straczynski uh, love child. Yeah, that maybe. could be formed. Maybe we can just take some DNA samples <laughs> from both of them and create some kind of clone, <laughs> kind of a Serpentor kind of thing. <laughs> okay, do we have any other listener comments? Nope, that's it. Okay. Uh, okay, where where to begin here? We've got our list over on the board. Yes. Uh, thank you for uh, finally providing a list. <laughs> it's nice to have some structure here on the podcast. Finally, uh, favorite extra. Or bit part character. Joey, if you'd like to start us off. I'm going to go with David Warner as Aldous Gaik. Or Gaijik. Okay. Um, I, I had two other ones on my list that were Bester and Drawl. I thought both deserved honorable mention. I have a tough time choosing Bester just because I know he's, he's not a bit character. He's not really. I mean, yeah, he only in, really in shows up he is. once. In this season he is. So I, I, I put him in there as honorable mention. But really... I mean, it's David Warner. The guy is just brilliant. He gets it for me. Ugh, I love David Warner, too. As much as you do. But I don't think David Warner puts out a, a good um, oh, I disagree. offering okay. All right. in, in that episode. I think it's a lot of cheeseball stuff. Um, my choice was the uh, the character Harmon Gray, as played by sure. uh, Jeffrey uh, Combs. Uh I really enjoyed him as an actor. When he showed up in that episode, that episode got better. Okay. Just by him being there. So I, I really loved that. Okay, Pete, your most hated character. Uh, this was tough. <laughs> There's uh, a few. <laughs> yeah, the tops of my list were were also Walker Smith and Oren Zento. Just couldn't stand those characters at all. Okay. Uh, but the one that I hated the most, that I just want to boot off of this entire existence, is Colonel Ari Benzane. <laughs> that, that guy was awful. Awful, awful. Down to the stupid scar running down his face. The only thing that could have completed it better was a mustache that he could have twirled. Uh, that, that guy was bad. What about you? Uh, I'm going to go with Lauren Takashima. I'm glad she did not make it out of the pilot. That was a horrible character, horribly <laughs> acted. Uh, and, uh, you know, thank heavens that we did not have to suffer through her for the whole first season. <laughs> okay, so what about your favorite villain? Uh, I'm going to go with Bester. I really, like, that guy just, he, I love to hate him. I, I don't have any other words to say it other than just, Wow. Excellent, excellent performance. There, There is nothing that you can look at Bester and possibly think, oh yeah, he might be a good guy. Yeah, yeah I, I, I can see that. No, there's nothing there. He is a villain, and he was the best villain we saw in this season, hands down. Yeah. Easily. Okay, Pete, hot chick. Um, I have no idea. Huh. Nothing, huh? Nothing. Honestly. Ivanova does nothing for me. Um, uh, the uh, uh, Sakai... Does nothing for me. Talia Winters? Uh-uh. Um, <laughs> I'm with you on that one. So, some, uh, like the uh, the doctor's uh, daughter in uh, 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 the Mercy episode. Just, Mercy? Yeah. She's not attractive. I suppose we could look around at uh, um, some of the, the dancers that we saw <laughs> in the strip joint. I, I suppose they were attractive. Or if... Uh, I think Jim is probably pulling his hair out. He thinks that I should probably like Natoth um, as uh, <laughs> as my choice. So for, for I guess for listener Jim, I'm going to select as hot chick Natoth, okay. um, just so he can continue whatever sick fantasy he has about me and alien women. 
I, I actually, I think Catherine Sakai was okay looking. Not stellar, not a knockout, but I thought she was pretty enough to get the, the award in this season. As my friend John Madsen likes to use in uh, his uh, J.R. Watch a Star Trek uh, podcast, um, they clearly have no hot chick budget uh, yeah. in this series. It just doesn't seem to exist for them. Which I suppose on one level, good for you for, you know, not deciding to take the cheap road. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, you know, just playing after that. Oh, here's some pretty girl to look at. Okay. Um, okay, so funniest moment, Joey? I- I'm going to go with Jakar and Londo having the argument outside the elevator with the human guy stuck in the middle. That always gets an outright laugh from me every time I watch it. <laughs> the awkwardness of being stuck in that situation and... Like, Londo actually puts his arm around the guy at some point, and the guy's like, pulling away. He's like, no, please don't make me a part of this. <laughs> I love that scene. Okay. Uh, I had a tough time coming up with funny stuff, just because, I, along with what uh, listener Fisher was saying, there's not a ton of, like, genuinely funny stuff. You know, we don't get to see Data in a beard saying, and do I not look distinguished when I stroke my beard thusly? <laughs> you know, there's nothing like that in this. Uh, the, really, the only thing that I came away with that I could say, okay, that's I, I genuinely laugh at this, which is Lanier's uh, comment when he's working on the bike, and he says, ah, Mr. Garibaldi, today I shall endeavor to study the mysteries of the fuel injection system. Would you care to join me? That's funny. Okay. I, I think that that's, you know, that's delivered, delivered by the straight man uh, in there. I, it works. Okay. Your top five hated episodes, Pete. Okay, um, let's see. Uh, before I get into this, um, I, I just want to uh, say thank you, and I think the rest of the listeners want to say thank you for finally getting rid of, um, you know, the uh, the favorite concept. <laughs> so we don't have to listen to my sigh. That's anymore. what the funniest moment is. It, it took the place of favorite concept. <laughs> okay, uh, it, it, getting around uh, five hated hated episodes. Um, I easily came up with nine. Wow. <laughs> uh, that I could say. I had eight. <laughs> you know, I, I would never want to watch this ever again. I think it's clear what's going to be my number one. And I toyed with the idea of saying, um, well, uh, let's just lump the rest in there. But I, 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 I did do di- diligence here. Number five, Survivors. Okay. It's uh, bad. Uh, number four, Parliament of Dreams. I thought really? that, uh, yeah, I, I thought that the whole religion treatment, aside from what we see with the Mimbari, that was the only good scene in that entire episode. The way it ended with, like, let's go down and shake everyone's hand, who was a member of, you know, this variable pantheon of gods that we seem to have. Uh, Londo overacts ridiculously that it was stupid. Okay. I felt nothing in there. Um,. Number three is Born to the Purple. That girl who's apparently this dancer who's supposed to be this exotic woman. I mean, she didn't even make the hot chick uh, item for me because I didn't think she looked attractive at all in that. Is it just because she's bald? Nope. Okay. Nope. Had nothing to do with that. Uh, But it was just a, a poor episode that I didn't care for. Number two is Infection. I don't know what in the world they were thinking with coming up with that particular yeah. storyline. And then easily number one is TKO. Oh, man, that was bad. That was a stinker. Okay, what about you, Joey? Uh, number five for me is By Any Means Necessary. 
Okay, that was on the short list. That's a bad episode. Number four is Infection. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number three is The Gathering. This is bad stuff. The Gathering, that's the pilot, right? That's the pilot, yes. I kind of just dismissed the pilot. I didn't even consider it in my list. I just, because that's a pilot, and I mean, I really didn't hate it that much more. I mean, I feel as though uh, um, Infection or Survivors, you know, has more blood on its hands because... You know, it's so several episodes the down the line. Okay. Well, Survivors is my number two. <laughs> I was surprised it came up so low on your list. That, this is a bad episode. There's a lot to hate about Survivors, but not as much as there is to hate about TKO. <laughs> it gets my number one worst episode. Oh, man. Okay, what about your five favorite episodes? Um, I, I, I'm really surprised that, that more people don't enjoy Grail. Grail gets my number five for season one. Hmm. I really like that episode. I, I think it's clear that I enjoyed David Warner's portrayal. I think he saved the episode and not just saved it, but made it a good episode for me. Oh, yeah, but uh, hold on. I just want okay. to talk about that for a little bit. You can even look past the goofiness of the, the mind-wiping monster yes, yep. and Jinxo and the, the I evil like, guy. I like the evolution that Jinxo takes as a yeah, character. That's right. That's right. The that's right. You did say that. I remember you saying that now. Okay. All right. C- carry on. Carry on. Uh, number four is A Voice in the Wilderness Part 1. Followed okay. closely, very, very <laughs> narrow margin, uh, A Voice in the Wilderness Part 2. Okay. I love Drawl. Like I said, he was very close. He was on my short list for favorite bit part. Um, I love the character of Drawl. He, it's just something about the way that guy acts and the way the character is written. I immediately got connected to him the first huh. time I watched this. And I thought, oh, I hope we get to see this draw guy again. I really liked him. And so I really enjoyed those two episodes for and, – and, and for the, the concept around them of, you know, the sacrifice and, and all, all the different things we see. We get to learn about the characters, whether it's Sinclair that we're learning about him through – Delin's perception of him or Londo we get to see him you know having a little bit of fun and recalling the days of his youthful glory I like these two episodes a lot number two for me is Babylon Squared and number one is Signs and Portents so much of the entire series hinges on Signs and Portents I don't know how it cannot make everyone's top <laughs> number one list I think when people get to the end of the series they will look back and they'll say Wow, Signs and Portents just laid out everything for us. Okay. Uh, all right, number four for me <laughs> is Deathwalker. Okay. Uh, I actually, as I look back, and I, I know, I think I rated Deathwalker kind of low, if I remember correctly, but I just think about that woman in there. She was probably my number two. Like if I, if Harriman Gray hadn't been there, she would probably gotten my favorite bit part. I think she, as an actress, did a good job. I remember her vividly, and I enjoyed that story, that that idea of, hey, I've come up with the uh, the way to live forever. It's killing somebody else. <laughs> um, I, I like that. Uh, number three is A Voice in the Wilderness. This should never have been a two-parter. Okay. Uh, I, I think that they drug it out to be dramatic. They could have shortened this up and done a much better job. Cut out some of the crap okay. that, that goes on with it. Uh, but I, I like it. I like the story. like the planet that is, you know, got a machine all the way through it. You know, that's just awesome. <laughs> that awesome stuff. And, you know, it's got to be run by, a, you know, some sort of brain. 
uh, you know, has to control it. Otherwise, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Uh, number two is Babylon Squared. Easily, again, you know, time travel. We get a big story arc stuff uh, that's going on with this here. Um, and then number one, easily signs and portents. Sure. Uh, I, I think that there is just so much that happens in this. I don't know how you can't watch that and start to think, okay, there is something more to this and I want to find out the rest yeah. of it. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, Pete, worst alien costume. Ooh. Um, wait, wait. Actually, before we get to that, you only gave four. Yeah. What happened to number five? There was no number five. Oh, jeez, you couldn't even come up with one. All right. No, I, I made my decision. You, you, and you I'm had 22 episodes. Nine of them were on the most hated list. You couldn't get a number five on there. Right. No. Nope. Uh, most of them are castaways. So let's just <laughs> get rid of them. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, if you can just manage to get through at least those four. Uh, you know, A Voice in the Wilderness, uh, Part 1 and 2, Babylon Squared, Signs and Portents. I think if you watch those major ones and then Chrysalis at the end, you've encapsulated the majority of the story. Yeah, I thought it was, I did think it was interesting that neither you or I put Chrysalis as our, our top five list. Yeah, no, that's, Chrysalis is good for, you know, continuing on the story, but it's not a great episode. It's not a great episode, I agree. It's really not. Uh, okay, so worst alien costume, uh, I think easily for me goes to Negrath. Yeah. Uh, that, it just... Okay, I'm with you dumb. 100%. Dumb. I'm so glad they dropped the character and, and the and the worst costume. Probably one of the worst things I've seen. The, the puppetry just never worked right. I, I think I might have been okay with the concept if they had gotten it to work well. If it had been a nice animatronic you know, very effective device, but the puppetry just never came together. I think it's weird that they chose that to use um, instead of you know going with models for the the space um, uh, the spaceships or the space station that they decided to do a model for Negrath. an actual alien creature that doesn't ever work in large scale. Works in small scale, you know. Yeah, play around with it that way. Okay. So you chose Negrath as well. I did. Yes. Okay, so this brings us to your favorite moment. You, you, there was a pregnant pause there. I wasn't sure what was going on. For me, my favorite moment of season one is where Londo is talking about his shoes being too tight. Ugh. And the, hmm. the, the emotion that Peter Jurassic pours into that scene is incredibly powerful, moving stuff for me. Let's take a listen here. Master, I've been looking everywhere for you. Yes. Yes, what do you want? To tell you something. Well? You... You you, you were wrong. What? My cousin and Arya wanted to be together because they love each other. Now, would that have destroyed the great Centauri Republic? We cannot turn our back on tradition. Oh, damn tradition! Kieran may die because our glorious tradition values wealth and power over love. My shoes are too tight. Excuse me? Something my father said. He was old. Very old at the time. I went into his room and he was sitting alone in the dark, crying. So I asked him what was wrong. And he said, my shoes are too tight, but it doesn't matter because I have forgotten 
how to dance. I never understood what that meant until now. My shoes are too tight. And I have forgotten how to dance. I don't understand. Nor should you. I, I don't think there's anything left to be said. That is my favorite it, It's interesting. Up to this point, I think you and I have always agreed on the favorite moments that we've talked about from each other. Mm-hmm. And said, you know, oh yeah, you know, that's a great thing. I, I can't, I think this is the first time I'm going to have to just vehemently disagree with you. I, I don't find anything moving about that whatsoever. I, I, I can't buy that scene uh, by the actor, by the character. It just seems too out of place. Uh, honestly, for Malari, um, he's on this weird roller coaster up and down with all over the place with his uh, emotions. emotions. He, he needs to, I think they need to write him so that he's a little more concerned. I mean, yeah, not, he can not quite so bipolar. <laughs> he can he can be the flamboyant guy still, yeah, but he's just all over the place, and I just can't buy that someone is going to be that way at one point and then you know falling all over the table in this you know supposed you know drunken orgy of a religious uh, celebration in Parliament of Dreams. Interesting, because I would see it, those two tough. as being very connected. No, I. He's supposed to be this, you know, guy who's coming to terms with, oh, this life I've lived is so horrible and our society is so dreadful that, you know, we're stuck in these roles. And, uh, and therefore, I drink myself into oblivion to wash away the pain. Yeah, I, it, okay. it just, it doesn't work for me. Okay. He's not drinking himself into oblivion. He's, I, I don't know. It, it's your moment. I, I'm just saying, this is, I think, the first yeah, time we've ever disagreed. Uh, for me, and I think you'll agree with me on this one. Uh, my favorite moment comes from uh, when we first meet Lanier and uh, Delenn, you know, she meets him out at the, you know, at the spaceport there and they're walking in together and he calls her Satai and she says, you've got to stop. So let's take a listen from that point there. You will not use my title Satai. You will address me only as Delenn. Do you understand? No, but understanding is not required. Only obedience. Good. So, uh, for me, it's that line. Yeah. You know, understanding is not required. Only obedience. That, for me, is my my most favorite moment from the episode, or from the series, uh, season, because I look at that and I think, yes, you are absolutely correct. <laughs> that is how a subordinate should respond to their better. You know, that is that totally encapsulates the way I feel in a lot of things. I, I, I think I would agree with you there, yeah. Uh, okay, this brings us to the end of season one. Yep, brings us to the end of season one. <laughs> uh, we, you know, we'll, we'll be moving right into season two, and I think that people will be pleased with the way season two starts. Things things really get kicked off with a bang, and, and we move forward, and we're going to start getting some answers really soon to some of these things that are hanging out there. Now, were we going to start slowing down on our episodes? I didn't I, know I if we had yet. made a full decision. I, I haven't of... decided yet where the point is that we need to start slowing down. I don't think at least not in this first podcast because we're going to get some things that we need to introduce and, and it'll give us the ability to move in a hurry here for a little bit. We're not getting to really the meat of the of the over arc, of the overall arc yet. I'm not sure yet where that point is, but I will post on Facebook as soon as I watch the episode. <laughs> I'm sure the switch will go on and I'll say, okay, 
Only three this week. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, well, let's look forward to season two. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Homestarmy Presents Trek West 5. We hope that you've learned something, had some laughs, and we always invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. Or you can tweet us at hashtag trekwest5, or call and leave us a voicemail at 801-788-4913. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And thanks for listening.